Hello, hello, hello. You are listening to our in-depth discussion of the movies of 2018. I am Sam Gavin, and today I am joined by two very special friends of mine, Kirk Beatty and Anthony Polinick. Please make yourselves known, everyone. Hello. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> hello, everybody. I'm Anthony, and uh, it's good to be here again on Sam's channel. I'm actually Kirk. Hey, guys doing today <laughs> i was gonna follow up with a bit but you just you're like nah just kidding everybody i didn't want to fool you the whole podcast <laughs> it's, it's all good so every year the three of us come together to uh just basically go over all the films that we saw over the year these things usually run at about four hours uh we're gonna try and uh condense it a little bit more this year okay so um the first film in our discussion is the Cloverfield Paradox, which I did not see, and I don't believe that Anthony has seen, but Kirk, you have seen. Yes, I have seen the Cloverfield Paradox. Um, that had an amazing marketing idea of not announcing the film in any way and then dropping a TV spot during the Super Bowl, uh, saying that it was going to be on Netflix that night. And I love that idea, uh, similar to leaving the announcement of uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane to the last possible moment when they uploaded the trailer like a, a couple of months before the film came out. Um, I like how the marketing of this series, even going back to the first one as well, is really unique and sort of revolutionary. It's all that J.J. Um, Abrams touch, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, that being said, Cloverfield <laughs> Paradox is not a great film. Um, I don't think it's a bad film. I was entertained by it. Uh, there's a lot of neat, creepy imagery and ideas, but that's... It's, that's sort of where it stops um, I mean the acting's very good and I really like Chris O'Dowd in that film um, there's a subplot on Earth, I should say the film takes place in a space station for like 80% of the film and there's this other 20% which takes place on Earth and that Earth stuff is just nothing, basically it's filler just to tell us that there is something going on with monsters on Earth while this stuff is happening on the space station right. Um it's it's a really it's a hard one to really recap, but there's a lot of creepy things that happen. A person's arm gets removed, and someone wakes up uh, caught inside a wall. Um, it's not terrible, but I, I mean, it's I gotta be <laughs> honest. It it kind of killed the mystique of the Cloverfield franchise for me. This one, um, like whatever was built up with like just the advertising of this, I. Yeah, it's been discussed that this might have been a completely different movie that they just slapped the Cloverfield name onto, like mm. which may be the case. Which was Ten Cloverfield Lane, yeah. It, yes, um, but I mean, whatever that means, like it, it's I, like I said, I don't think it's terrible, but it's there's not a lot to it really. So, so by the logic of you know narrowing the amount of advertisement to release, the next Cloverfield Bat Robot film. That shouldn't get advertised until after the movie's out, correct? I was just thinking that. Yes, <laughs> if the movie's they out, advertise the DVD. It's already been out, guys. What are you doing? <laughs> you get you buy yeah. the DVD. There's a trailer for it on the DVD. Oh, okay. <laughs> People just show up to the cinema and they see like a Cloverfield title, like on the now showing thing, and people are just like, "Wait, what?" Um, that's how that should be advertised, just by not advertising at all. Well, They'll do what uh, Warner Brothers did. They'll do the thing where they just put the whole movie because they they released like the Lego Movie on as just an advert, didn't they? On was it April Fools or something like that? Was it Black Friday? It was Either way, Black they Friday, released like 
Yeah, they released like the whole Lego movie. So it'll just be a trailer for the new Cloverfield, and it'll just start playing, even though people paid for a different film. <laughs> I've been here for ten minutes. So this is a long trailer. <laughs> yes. Uh, so our next film is Black Panther. Who wants to take the reins on that? Sam, you can go. Um. So, well, quite frankly. I think it works on two levels. On the one hand, it works on a on a brilliant level of um, representation uh, and really fantastic names attached to this. I really like Chadwick Boseman um, in this yeah. role, um, and I think Michael B. Jordan is a charisma machine in this movie. To be honest, I mean, it, it was really weird. So at the beginning, at the 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 best at the first half of the film, um, I was just kind of bored. Um, there's like a car chase and there's a fight scene and I didn't really care and then they kind of introduced the plot of the movie uh, which is much more much more weightier than uh, some previous Marvel films I feel in that it's very much about a kind of socio-political um, uh, theme and the stuff about Wakanda not sharing their riches with uh, you know places that are uh, economically struggling that's a really interesting story to me um but quite frankly by the time it's two cgi things fall endlessly falling down a cgi cave and they're punching each other in midair and then there's a train and and they're throwing each other about i don't care it completely it's one of this is one of those films where the 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 need to have it be this overblown CGI battle and stuff towards the end, along with the the previous car chase and the and the all the action just felt really superfluous to me. It didn't need to be so formulaic, and I just I, I lost interest by the time that that they are literally just two CGI guys, you know, running into each other. It it lost me, I'm afraid. Um, but again. I really love the final scene. Like, there's a, there's a really lovely film in there. Um, I just think that its ultimate problem is, honestly, that it's a Marvel movie. Uh, I thought this movie was good. Uh, a lot of people obviously think it's great. It's it's going to be like the the big buzzing around the award season of like, oh, Black Panther is it going to get anything? Oh, it better. Otherwise, I'm going to yell about it. Um, I went to this movie with the lowest of expectations, just because I didn't really think much of it. I was like, okay, another Marvel movie. I'm sure it'll be fine. And I honestly was quite surprised of how much I enjoyed it. Uh, as you kind of said, as far as the action goes, it's it's not anything to to brag about. There there is that point towards the end. Of course, spoilers for a movie that's been out for almost a year and that <laughs> everyone has seen because it's made over a billion dollars. Uh, they just fall into a purple train chasm, and they're just hitting each other and scratching each other, and they're doing flips and. Uh, they recreate the scene from X-Men where uh, yes. Wolverine goes around the Statue of Liberty little point. It's uh, the first thing it. I thought of when I saw that in the cinema. It's like, oh, hey, yes. a callback. You know, show me where you came <laughs> from. Uh, so there's that, and I don't know, there's maybe not all the, the jokes land, but everyone's really charming. Like you said, Chadwick Boseman's really good. Um, uh, what's, his, what's his character's name? Everett Ross, that's right, the other Ross. <laughs> he's he's really entertaining. I thought he he was a, a fun sort of side character to the point where there's a there's a big build up where it looks like he might you know bite the dust, and I was genuinely worried because it's like oh no, the Hobbit, please don't die. Uh, but it was great, and I, I liked all these the characters, and I hope to see more of them uh, moving past Infinity War and going through there. I want to see where these characters go and and how they evolve and. 
where the place of Wakanda ends up going because the ending obviously suggests that there could be expansion and, and change and that's a really interesting concept and I like the idea of there actually being a status quo that evolves with the characters and everything so I mean it, it's not my favorite but I, I was quite happy with it uh, but I haven't watched it since so maybe you know maybe I'll give that a watch again <laughs> um yeah I also went into Black Panther without really any expectations or I guess kind of I don't want to say low expectations because I, I like Ryan Coogler as a director. I really enjoyed uh, the first Creed movie, and um, you know I like the character of the Black Panther, and I, I liked what they did with him in Civil War. Um, but I just I wasn't really feeling this one. And part of it was the trailers. Like I thought the the hip hop influence in the trailers was kind of a weird tonal thing for the Black Panther and for Wakanda. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised, and I. I I kind of loved the film, honestly. Um, I I don't disagree with the, the CGI action stuff, but um, the the weight and the message of the film and and the the whole purpose of uh, what Wakanda stands for and what have you isn't didn't it didn't lose me. Um, I just had a real fun time watching this, and and Michael B. Jordan's character is one of the best villains that they've done in the MCU, and uh, he like you said, Sammy, he's just. It's full of charisma, that guy. He's just so and it's much fun to watch. such a fun counterbalance as well when he walks into, you know, the royalty of Wakanda and he's just going, I'm the king now and, and like, hip-hop music just starts playing when he really, like, gets yeah. angry and, like, I think that's a great kind of, uh, you know, juxtaposition. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's loads of things I, I really like in it and I agree, I think Michael B. Jordan is one of the best villains that they've done recently. Yeah, and it, like I mentioned earlier as well, like I wasn't really feeling the music choices that they uh, went with for the trailers. The music in this film I really like. Um, obviously, they had um, um, blanking on the rapper's name. Um, Good job. Yeah, great music. Uh, it was great, <laughs> and we're, we're happy to link him to his social media and everything because we know his name for sure. <laughs> <laughs> But we, um, but he like I I like the you know both the score and the the hip hop influences in the the film itself like it, it really works. Um, I really like the scene in is it Hong Kong? Um, it's been a while since I've seen the film. Um, now, yeah, but, I think so. Uh, yeah, um, I, I do really like that sequence. Um, it's also uh, you know sad to talk about now, but that might be my favorite Stan Lee cameo in a Marvel <laughs> movie as well. Um, it's it's that classic. Uh, like what that we sort of talk about with Stan Lee of you know he's kind of I like him when Stan Lee is a dickhead in in these cameos and um, <laughs> he, he's sexy and, this one. and rich and, and also he just loves women and money and <laughs> being his own <laughs> yes. crazy character it's so out of I character like it when the, he's the wholesome man that we know and love exactly um, and that was uh, that cameo in in Black Panther um, but yeah I, I really love Black Panther and look I, I will say I'm a little surprised by all the award season attention it's gotten um just because i don't even think I'm it's not. the best film that marvel made this year but um i at the same time yes yeah, i'm not because of, of what it stands for but uh i did kind of think that this film would get forgotten by award season because it came out in whatever it was february or march um but here we are and uh yeah i i had such fun me and my friends just like before we saw the film just trying to 
imagine where they're going to shove Stan Lee in this all-black cast. And in, I, I literally just wanted him walking <laughs> yes. around in Wakanda. That would have been so funny because it would have <laughs> just been so shameless. Um, yeah. Um, I'm not surprised that it's getting all the uh, Oscars attention. I mean, like, they, they... It's like people have forgotten that... I think it was... It was whatever year um, 12 Years a Slave came out that after it had won Best Picture... Um, it had come out that the people that the academy people that had voted for it didn't even watch the bloody movie um so it's all you know that's that's just what the oscars is really um still it's cool that i mean the the whole representation bubble of black panther i think is absolutely amazing uh it's really lovely seeing so many people do the wakanda salute uh, like arm gesture um and uh, it's really like it's just it's just a nice warm um, fandom that's kind of spawned from it and that's really lovely um, and it will mean great things moving forward um, it was just as, a, as an overall thing yeah wasn't didn't quite work for me um, so uh, following from that uh, I saw a film called Annihilation um, which I believe was supposed to be a studio release um, mm-hmm. and whoever I think it actually came out in the states did it not like yeah, theatrically, yes, it, it came out in the, the theaters here. Meanwhile, everyone got to watch it from the comfort of their own home. Yeah. The country. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I watched it on Netflix shortly after it had come out. I can't remember. I think I someone had recommended it to me. Um, I'll be honest; it's so long ago now that I'm struggling to remember things about it. Um, but I remember it being a really good kind of slow burn, kind of heady sci-fi picture. Um, Natalie Portman was really good in it. The whole cast is really good in it, actually. Um, and uh, it's got some really viscerally creepy moments, and overall the the, the story is um, gets under your skin. I quite liked it. Uh, and thematically, it ties in... Without really spoiling stuff, the whole movie is effectively about cancer. Um, and uh, the way that it kind of plays with that theme while having a bit of a kind of genre story in some ways it felt a little bit like uh, invasion of the body snatchers to me but with a more more of a kind of um art house vibe uh, it was directed by alex garland who uh, did ex machina which i liked um i th- i don't like it as much as everyone else does um but i think he also had a hand in uh, dread though dread dread had like he basically had two directors, one for shooting, one in post. And I think Alex Garland is the one that took over for post. Um, but I could be remembering that wrong. But yeah, I thought that was really good. Our next film is Ready Player One. Uh, I thought that Ready Player One was going to be really bad because I am f- somewhat familiar with the book and the book is really bad. So I thought, <laughs> well, this is just going to be reference the movie now, isn't it? But I cannot deny that I had a really good time in the theater watching the film. Um, I don't know if I'm just a sucker for cheesy Spielbergian, you know, films, but I don't know. I just had fun with it. I, I just went in. I had a good time. The, the it all just worked. I, I really can't explain too much of it. it. It really shouldn't have worked the way it did. And I can feel like a lot of people, if they didn't really care for this film, I would completely understand. But overall, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I guess the only downside is is that our main character isn't as I guess likable as maybe he should be. I feel like I like all the other side characters and people around him and the over the top uh, Mendo villain 
more so than Ty Sheridan himself, and that's obviously not a fault of Ty Sheridan. I feel like he plays it really well, and his version of the character in the movie is a lot, I don't know, a bit, a bit better than the one in the, in the book per se. But I don't know. I just I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. Uh, I, I will say that because of this year, and we'll get a bit more to later towards the end of it, seeing things like old school uh, Gundam, like art style, just completely in a realistic setting, I, I and, and we'll talk about Bumblebee later, I think that completely throws out the window of any sort of modernization of robot designs. It's like just put blocky robots on the screen and people are going to like it. It works. It looks great. <laughs> that was my takeaway from it. <laughs> that Gundam looks fine. You don't have to make a big shard of, of metal scrap on the screen and it can work. But Mendo, good good for you, man. I mean, we're going to see you again in Captain Marvel coming <laughs> up. Happy for you. You're doing great. Yeah, it's funny to think um, Ben Mendelsohn's become uh, sort of the go-to corporate villain man. Um, <laughs> and it's funny to think, like, his career's really taken off since uh, Animal Kingdom in 2010, uh, which is a great film. It's a favorite of mine. And then Dark Knight Rises was kind of the first uh, Hollywood film that he was in and then since then he's played a lot of similar roles to that Rogue One with uh, this I know he was in Robin Hood this year and he's in Captain Marvel next year or this year now Um, (laughs) it it is funny how we've seen him play very similar villains Um, but I mean he's so damn good at it so I don't mind I'm a big Ben Mendelsohn fan been a fan for a long long time because he's He's just one of those classic Aussie actors that we all saw in, you know, low-budget Aussie movies and television and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I really liked Ready Player One. I went into it with, once again, very low expectations. I didn't really care about this movie. Um, I was like, well, you know, maybe, you know, a Spielberg film. Like, you know, it, maybe it'll be, maybe it'll surprise me. I'm a big Ty Sheridan fan. Um, this might be fun. And... Uh, you know, I'm all for, like, the DeLorean, you know, driving around in this CG world. And that, it might be fun. <laughs> uh, I'll, just, I'll never forget, like, sitting in the cinema and um, Wade Watts, Ty Sheridan's character, is describing what the Oasis is. And then suddenly you're just thrown into, like, this race. And, like, just as that was happening, I was like, wait a second, what the hell is happening? Like, why is the Oasis so important? Like, well, why, like, what's going on? And then this crazy car chase happens with a T-Rex and King Kong and you know, all this stuff is happening. And then I just kind of sat back, like, leaned back and was like, okay, I'm just going to let this movie take me wherever <laughs> the hell it's going to take me now. And, uh, I mean, I think that's a great way to approach it. It's, once again, sort of a hard film to describe because, like, some of the reasons for why the Oasis is so important in the book and not in the film and I don't know much about the book beyond what I've seen in people's descriptions of it in YouTube videos and what have you like but you know that like the fact that the Oasis like provides schooling you know free education like that's why it's so important it's like if you know Steve Jobs died and said there's an easter egg uh, and you get to run Apple (laughs) like it's that important and um yeah so I I, I really like Mark Rylance in the film as well. I think he does his great performance. Uh, I enjoy Simon Pegg. Um, yeah, I, I just I have a lot of fun with this movie. I saw it twice in the cinema. Um, so I just had so much fun. And uh, yeah, a thumbs up for Ready Player One. A pleasant surprise. 
Um, I, I mean, I've written a review of it, which people can go and see if they want kind of more of an, in, an in-depth description. Um, I ended up seeing this with my mate, and I took Jess to see it as well. Um, I think we just w- decided to go see it, just because we want to see a film. Um, and uh, mo- most of the time was spent, me and me and my mate Aiden just raising our hands up in disbelief, because, I mean, I quite frankly, I thought all the live-action bits were dumb as hell. Um... <laughs> like like plain and simply I didn't think they were I didn't think they were well directed uh I I mean the, the cast was fine um and those are the actual Spielberg Yeah, cast. I know. I know. I know and that's what that's what is weird to me is I just thought it just didn't feel like Spielberg was really trying. I'm I'm sorry and I know a lot of people will cry foul at that. Um part part of the problem is that I felt the film really had an opportunity to uh say something about all of the uh fan service and all the nods and the references that they were packing in there and I thought if there were any film premise to deliver a commentary on how we shouldn't depend on the past so much this really should have been it they're they're people that live in a post-apocalyptic future that escape to a reality of nostalgia driven you know references and callbacks Uh, it seemed like a no-brainer to me um and so when the film had done had done its thing and and I realized that oh no it really does just want to have fun and it wants to be the godfather of fan service without actually saying anything about it it kind of upset me um uh but I do however think that uh this is I mean this has got to be every kid's new favorite movie I mean it's such a roller coaster ride of adrenaline fueled you know computer generated action um, I thought all of that stuff was actually quite well done. Towards the end, I started finding it a little bit headache-inducing. It got a little bit too much for me. Um, but I thought that... I mean, the kids haven't been underserved whatsoever. Um, so I understand the the uh, appeal of the film, but um, I guess I was just expecting too much from a, from a storytelling perspective. I don't know. But um, yeah, not not horrible, but I was still a little bit disappointed. Uh, so the next film on our list is uh, Thoroughbreds, which I believe you have seen, Kurt. Yes. Yes. Um, I kind of loved Thoroughbreds, actually. Uh, a film with really great performances. It's the final performance of Anton Yelchin, sadly. Um, uh, but uh, both uh, Anya Taylor-Joy and Olivia Cook, who was Artemis and Ready Player One. I actually think these two films came out in the same week, or like a week apart, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah I mean they're both really great and really carry the film in a way where I'm not sure if I would have enjoyed the film as much with other actresses in those roles but the film it's uncomfortable at times um, it's funny at other times it's this interesting story about two friends who are willing to do just about anything for each other um, they're sociopaths really <laughs> well one of them certainly is anyway but uh, uh, you know basically to sum it up um i thought thoroughbreds was uh really worth seeing for the performances alone so i'd recommend it for that so cool uh next film is you were never really here which um uh, myself and kirk have seen uh, what did you think of this mm-hmm. kirk you know this was an interesting one because i saw this purely because i saw that everybody was kind of everybody loved it um i've since seen it appear on a lot of people like a lot of critics and a lot of filmmakers like lists of the best film mm. of the year. Um, I know it was sort of a, a 
big deal at Cairns uh, last year or in 2017. Um, I liked it, but I think I would have liked it more if I knew nothing about it because I what I had seen the trailer for it, and the trailer kind of makes it look like uh, a Taken, like a Liam Neeson Taken movie, mm. and it's not really that. Um, I can admire the fact. Like, you don't really see any fight sequences. It's done in a really interesting way where you see, like, surveillance footage. And you know how, like, a surveillance TV will, like, cut to different camera, uh, surveillance camera angles for each room. So, like, you'll see him approaching a bad guy, and then it'll cut to another room, and then it'll cut back to that camera, and it's, like, beating the crap out of him for a second, then it'll cut to another room, then it'll cut back to that, and the guy's dead. And then he cuts to another room and you see him walking and ready to approach another bad guy. Like, it's a really interesting way to do it. Um, but I, uh, I don't know. When the film was over, I was, I sadly had the feeling of, oh, is that it? <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I really do think the world of Joaquin Phoenix as a, as an actor, I think he's just tremendous. Um, and it's similar to Thoroughbred, it's the thing where if it's not him in the role, I don't know if I even like the movie, um, but it's his performance that really carries it. Um, so, in that sense, I, I, I liked the film, um, but it's not one I ever have any desire to sort of see again, sadly. So, yeah, I don't know. What did you think, Sam? I, I more or less agree. Uh, I would watch it again. Um, I see it. So, I've only seen one of Lynn Ramsey's films before, which is a film called Morven Keller. Um, which is not a film that I would ever desire to watch again. Um, but it is a really good film. It's just incredibly dour, and I had to watch it several times in college. Um, so I i wasn't too surprised that it was all very kind of... It's very medita- medita- meditative. There we go, we got there in the end. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, as you say, it's all Joaquin Phoenix. He, he makes the film. Um, I really like the... the kind of different approach to to showing that violence um because i think one of the film's strong suits is the fact that it is so thoughtful it's much more of a character study um of this guy's uh mental headspace he's obviously got a lot of trauma um and i think a lot of it takes in terms of a narrative perspective a lot of it takes place basically in his head um and I think from that angle, the film is really interesting. I mean, I would, I think it's one of those films where I, I would, I would simply put it on and just kind of watch it. And because I, I, similar to you, I sort it out because uh, I heard such a big fuss about it. Um, and the more I think about it, the more I do actually like it. I wasn't too sure what to think at first. Um, a common, um, a. a, a a trope that we're going to run into with with any art house film that may be on this list is that it's got the most ambiguous ending ever, um, and that yeah. that that seems to be a thing at the minute. But I uh, I did really like it, and I liked the 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 minimalism of the cast. There weren't too many people in it, um, and I thought the the rural locations and I I don't know it the atmosphere kind of it it, it really gelled with me. Um, so I would definitely watch it again, though um, it's not. I mean, it's it's a you gotta have a taste for it, definitely. Yes, um, it's funny mentioning the ending just real quick as well. Like, <laughs> you don't see a lot of the violence in the film. It is mostly implied and kind of left up to your imagination. You just see a bloody mess, and you can sort of figure out how it got there. Um, 
I don't really want to say anything for people who do want to see it, but um, it, it was a moment that actually kind of took me by surprise and made me jump a bit. And then you realise he's just he's just kind of thinking about something. It's oh god, happening. yes, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's like it's the most graphic part of the film, and it's yeah, and that that kind of um, see thinking about that that kind of works for me because whenever he's been doing violent acts, that's the only times the film actually takes you out of his perspective. This is very much to mm-hmm. do with his own perspective. Um, oh yeah, see now I like it even more now that you've reminded me that that happened. I completely forgot about that. <laughs> Maybe I will watch it again, actually. I'm being turned around just as we discuss it, so... Um, yes. Uh, Avengers Infinity War. Anyone see this well, This art house picture that, that came out in a couple select cinemas and didn't make its money back. Avengers Infinity War, Daddy's Home. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll start it off. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll do it. It makes the most sense for me. Cause I like You're the Daddy Thanos fan. I like the big purple thick daddy. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like I know in in today's day and age, you don't want to just be like that comic book guy that just sees all the comic book movies and it's like, oh my my top five list consists of all the Marvel films this year. But like, fuck it, man, I love Marvel comics and I loved this movie. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. So I mean, it, it, I'll, I'll keep it simple. I'm I'm a huge fan of the Thanos character. Um, I'm not exactly a purist, I would say, because if I was a purist, there's probably a lot of details that I probably wouldn't like about Infinity War, per se. But, I mean, to see this character that I've read and enjoyed for so long, and the character that they've built up in the films to the point where you can only be disappointed by, god damn, we've been expecting this character since 2012, what could he possibly do? And then you see it, and he's just a... You know, he's a philosopher. He is a man taking action. He's a man with goals and dreams. And there's not like a big scene where, you know, there's fight scenes and there's there's things like that where it's, it's big CGI nonsense. But it's not like Man of Steel where people are punching like through cities and you don't really feel it. You feel like Thanos is just somewhere where you could punch him over and over again and nothing's going to happen. And in the meantime, he's talking your ear off about how he's like, you know, you're not going to change my opinion. <laughs> like, I've been doing this for a while. I'm pretty good. And I, I just, it affects This universe me. is finite. It's resources finite. <laughs> There's so many quotes from him that I, I feel like I can put up on someone's Instagram account with, like, a generic picture of nature and a weird <laughs> filter. And they'd go, oh, my God, that's so inspirational. Um, you know, it's, it's just the way it is. And on top of that, it's still a fun Marvel movie. It, it's really great to see characters interact this way. As someone who is a fan of Doctor Strange in this film universe, it's really great to see him, you know, basically stand toe to toe with Tony Stark on a uh, sort of witty, sarcastic level. And you know, we got to see Tom Holland Spider Man die, which was really cool. <laughs> I was really happy with that. No, I'm just <laughs> this straight away i'm glad i read this straight away but i don't know it the the feeling of the theater was so great for me as well i haven't felt a theater like this personally since i saw the avengers in 2012 back when Mm -hmm. midnight showings were still a thing and it was the beginning of this whole big superhero movie fandom before everyone came into school wearing their graphic tees and being like oh yeah i know what captain america's shield looks like i've seen avengers and and then of course silence as the ending's happening and I just, I, I, I can't, I can't get over the ending shot of just that nice music playing. It was great. What a great movie. What the, Josh Brolin had a great year, and I'm happy for him. 
<laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned the crowd reactions because I had a similar experience. When I saw Avengers in 2012, I went to the uh, the marathon of all the Phase 1 films leading up to the midnight showing of Avengers. And up in, like I, that's probably still is my favorite theater experience because everyone was just pumped and keen to watch these movies and it was all hardcore fans who enjoyed the movies and that was a great atmosphere to be in similar experience going to uh, an opening night showing of Infinity War um, packed, packed cinema everyone was just enjoying it people cheered when Captain America showed up, people cheered when Thor and uh, Rocket and Groot landed in uh, Wakanda Like I had the thought of man, this film's going to get a standing ovation like everyone is just so loving this movie this is great and then the ending happens and there's uh, complete silence like Anthony said and then directed by Joe and Anthony Russo <laughs> shows up and everyone just turns to the person next to them and starts talking like it was that that just n noise of nothing but people talking to each other um, it, it was just such an interesting atmosphere to be in especially for a a summer blockbuster, you know, like it's a big Marvel movie, you know switch your brain off, watch the superheroes fight, and it just, it wasn't wasn't really like that um, in by the end, you know so, uh, I really applaud Marvel uh, for having the balls to have an ending like this, yes I know that it's not going to stay that way everybody knows that um, but I just, I applaud them for having the guts to, to have that sort of an ending with the film to, and you know it, it's paid dividends because like everyone's just pumped and talking about what they're gonna do for the next one so yeah and I, I think that's also increased people's interest in Captain Marvel where that might not have been there before because everyone wants to know what is going to happen next um, I had a lot of fun with this movie I, I enjoyed all the characters I, I did enjoy Tom Holland's Spider-Man the most <laughs> so far um, and uh yeah, I mean, like you said, Doctor Strange gets a, an important role, and you know some of the other characters that we've had focused on in the past, like uh, Captain America, has, has a smaller role, but it's it's fine. It's it, it's just it makes sense. Um, Thor with the Guardians of the Galaxy was really great stuff. Um, yeah, I had a ball with Infinity War, and yeah, it's, it's that thing. Once again, I said I've read people's lists of their favorite films of the year, and. You know, it's that thing where filmmakers and critics don't want to say that the, the, you know, the number one box office film of the year was one of the best of the year, but uh, I think it was. I mean, it's certainly one of my favorites, and I'm not uh, ashamed to say that. So, yeah, great <laughs> film. The, the thing about the ending is that, I mean, that it, it's a bit like a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because either you do the predictable thing, which is everyone expects Iron Man and Captain America to die and, and all that, or you go the unpredictable route, and um, and you do the opposite. Um, I mean, we've we basically spoiled this, haven't we? <laughs> like I said, everyone has seen this movie. Yes. There's no way. It was a meme the month it came out. So. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mr. BT, I don't feel so good. Um, <laughs> but I, I quite liked that because, I mean... I won't lie. The, um, the 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 foreknowledge that this isn't really the end of the Marvel universe it did bother me a bit, and it and it is part of it does get a little bit in the way of my enjoyment of the movie. But I did actually think the film overall was kind of the best it could be in that situation. Um, 
owing to your point, Anthony, about um, the Man of Steel and people punching each other doesn't really mean anything, there's literally a scene where Thanos and um, several of the main characters are on a desolate planet, and you still give a shit, you still care, there's still threat and there's still peril. Um, yeah, there's literally like moons being thrown, yeah. but you still feel like it's still between You're still like, oh, shit, know, five like, or six people between one big guy. It's not yeah. like oh my goodness, then this is going to blow up and this is going to blow up. It's like, no, we have to stop this man. Yeah, it's it's about that. the stakes. For, it's about the personal stakes for the characters rather than, look at this 9-11 imagery. Isn't this interesting? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so that stuff, so I mean, I thought that Thanos was a really fun character. I like the way the film kind of frames him as a somewhat of a main character, like it's his story. Um, I also agree yeah. that Doctor Strange is absolutely badass. He was my favorite thing in the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, his fight with Thanos is one of the, the most. Yes, and I just love the, uh, the the Buddhist imagery. Wait. And there's like five hundred of him, and he's doing like these. <laughs> he's he's got like the the four the 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 eight arms and and all that kind of stuff. I, yeah, I really love that. And even watching it in the cinema with my friends, I literally went, "Yeah," because that's so like that's so Steve Ditko, isn't it? Um, it's fun. It's 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 fun. You yeah. want to have fun it, it was, with it without it being like yeah. joyful giggling. Haha! It's like no. It's it's a different kind of enjoyment. Yeah. Well, it was it was comic book pulp through and through, and I really loved that stuff. Um, it's a lot of that this year. And thematically, I really liked the ending. That it wasn't quite what you expected. It's more about what it thematically represents, which is, you know they've lost the future of the marvel universe and that's even that's in in a way that's even sadder than if the old timers had left cuz i mean you know the black panther and i think that and i think that kind of plays into i mean i don't know if they if they knew black panther was going to be such a hit um but i think that that adds to that in that you know people are still really excited about this universe and the possibilities going forward and i think the film kind of saying well this is what's at stake here is all of these new characters like people love tom holland spider-man we don't but other people do and uh so i like that the (laughs) film it's it's making a point about you know about thanos kind of getting what he wants without it just being for shock and you know doing the predictable thing um so i didn't quite love it as much as everyone else did but i thought that um it had a lot of those script nuances that I kind of thought um, were the things that made me like Civil War, and I hadn't seen... I felt that I hadn't really seen for a while. Um, it's not my favourite film of the year, um, but I totally see why people love it so much, and uh, I've, I've been meaning to watch it again. I haven't yet. Um, I am getting a little bit bored of all of the big CGI battles, Um that's just kind of in a lot of these movies it's one of the reasons i didn't spoilers didn't go see aquaman um and uh so i'm 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 actually more excited for part two because i think it calls for a different approach you can't just have a big battle again it's it's got to be some kind of problem solving they've got it's got to be cleverer um and it's got to be more about those characters and i think that's kind of what they're going for and i like the idea that now that they've kind of wiped a lot of the slate clean that you do have that screen time to dedicate to you know five or six main characters and you can tell a bit more of a story i think a lot of people's problem with this film was that 
there are character stories but there's so many of them how are you gonna you know get a proper narrative through that's why i think it works best if you watch it as a thanos film um but yeah so i'm i'm really looking forward to part two um yeah i'm start i'm kind of teetering on losing interest in the marvel universe but i think it kind of knows that and it's trying to do its best i think the russos are really smart filmmakers so i'm intrigued yeah so I guess you could say I was half and half on it. I don't know. I don't really know what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly balanced is all things. Exactly. There you go. Wow. Beautiful. <laughs> um, our next film is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which only you have seen, Anthony. Great. Uh, so this is like the opposite of what you all just said. Um, so uh, the, the main thing about this film is that my girlfriend... Ray sketches on, on Instagram and Twitter. Check her out. The Ray sketches. She does art and whatnot. Love my life. Um, she's a big Jurassic Park fan, big dinosaur fan. I currently am looking at two shellfuls of dinosaur toys from this year alone. Good lord. And um, obviously, we're going to go see this movie. It's the fifth installment in a, in a mega franchise. Uh, world rocked the, the world by storm. So it was great. Good job for them. Uh, every trailer for this movie looked awful. It looked <laughs> yes, it did. Really, really bad. And it was just one of those things of like, okay, well, I, I mean, we're gonna go see it anyway. Well, maybe it'll be good. And I want to say, for the most part, I was like, I, I never hated the film. I was, I was just sort of bored most of the time. But nothing really happens to the point where I was like, this is, this is it. This is gonna be the worst thing I've ever seen. Up until the very ending. So I guess for people who haven't seen the film, we'll try to explain it as best as I possibly can. Um, we we left Jurassic World, we left the island, and all the dinosaurs are still there. And apparently, the volcano that's always been on the island forever—that's news to us—is going to go off and kill all the dinosaurs. So we have what almost seems like a parody, but is supposed to be taken very seriously. These dinosaur rights activists trying to get the dinosaurs off the island in a franchise that's always been about you know every time we try to fuck with dinosaurs they fuck with us back and it never works out properly so they come off really goofy and cartoony and almost like it's a joke but it's not there there are main characters there are heroes that want to save the dinosaurs and so they go there and, and chris pratt joins along even though he was building a house in the middle of nowhere and then, oh no, it turns out the, the secret people funding our secret program are the bad guys. And they put all the dinosaurs on a secret evil auction. And so half the movie is them dicking around on an island, and then the other half is them running around a haunted mansion with a dinosaur auction going down in the basement that is incredible. with Arnim Zola from the Captain America franchise. Toby Jones. Um, yeah, Toby Jones. <laughs> Dobby. Toby, right? yes. Uh, so yeah, Dobby's... Dobby, Dobby be selling dinosaurs for an incredibly low, low price. I mean, you'd think a dinosaur would go well over the millions, and it, there's some that just sell for nothing. <laughs> so honestly, I jumped on that. It's, it's a really weird bit where you, you'd think a dinosaur, a, a thing that shouldn't exist, should go for astronomical, and it, it just doesn't. Um, what else happened in the movie? There's a part where Chris Pratt, like, either he almost touches lava, or he does touch lava, because he's paralyzed. I don't really remember that part. But the movie ends, and I'm going to spoil the fucking ending, so I hope everyone is ready for it. And I hope if you, if you really want the ending to Jurassic World, the Fallen Kingdom saved for you, turn off the show now. 
Just kidding. Keep listening. It's a hoot and a holler. <laughs> All the dinosaurs are trapped in some sort of big room, and they're like, oh no, we accidentally knocked into a, a gas container earlier on in a fight and now the gas is leaking all the dinosaurs are gonna die and it's like well this solves all our problems now we don't have to worry about the dinosaurs anymore thanks a lot and uh what's her name Bryce Dallas Howard from uh A, a Dog's Way Home coming to theaters this January <laughs> is like I'm, I'm gonna press the button and it's gonna release all the dinosaurs and Chris Pratt's like don't you dare like that's an awful idea don't release these dinosaurs into the public, essentially, of all over America. These dinosaurs are going to be running and, and eating people and doing all sorts of stuff. You're going to change the world. And she goes, you're right, I won't. Then, a little girl, who we found out was actually a clone, presses the button, lets out all the dinosaurs, and is like, hey, you know, that's a life. And now dinosaurs are just out and about, and that's that's the world, and everyone is, is fine with it. The end. I hated it. <laughs> I love how you revealed the plot point of the um the little the little girl being a clone, like really offhandedly. <laughs> That's a big thing. It is. There's. It's not in the movie. So there's this little girl, and she's just she's just hanging out, having a good time at this haunted mansion that James Cromwell lives in, and <laughs> and then there's a little point where all the characters stop, and they go, "Did you know she's a clone?" <laughs> <laughs> and that's so how I... the movie works. So I, I'd, I've basically seen most of the movie because I kept seeing it while I was working at the cinema. Um, and the, the bit where I, I was glad... Well, the bit actually where I decided I wasn't going to go watch it for free uh, <laughs> was the bit where Chris Pratt has been tranquilized and a bunch of comically cartoonish lava is itching its way closer and closer to him. Mm-hmm. And he wills his limbs back to... He wills himself to get up? <laughs> yeah. What? Um, and uh, there's one decent shot at the end where a lion roars at a T-Rex. That was kind of cool. That was it. There's there's a really great part where um, they're like everyone's running off the island because the volcano went off, and one uh, I believe it's I don't know if it was a brachiosaur or a brontosaur. I apologize, dinosaur fans. Fuck's but sake. it's the one from can't remember it's the one that they see in the first jurassic park where they are amazed and it like reaches up and eats the tree and it's a yeah it's a brachiosaur you know like yeah the the brachiosaur in that scene and so it's like it comes up at the dock and it's really comical because there's all this like smoke and brimstone coming in and it's like going like like (laughs) and then you see it enveloped in the smoke and fire and it like does the pose to be like, remember me from Jurassic Park, 1993? <laughs> and, they, and then they go online and they're like, you know what? I'm glad you pointed that out. We here at the, the people that made the movie, we can confirm that, yes, that was the original dinosaur that you saw die. And now you're going to go on and online and be like, oh, I cried so hard when the dinosaur died. <laughs> it was, it got caught up in the flames. Yeah, I really cried. It was so, so heartbreaking. Not except, you know, all the dinosaurs die, and, you know, who cares? The the fact that my mate described this to me, because he went and saw it, the fact that he described it to me as, it's basically the lost world again. It's just, like, similar similar to Star Wars, they just can't do anything with Jurassic Park anymore. It's done. Like, 
that they've stretched the premise as thin as they can and clearly what they're trying to do here is open it up for a cinematic universe because that's what all of these are now they're not even movies anymore they're they're parts of a machine that is self-perpetuating and it has longevity and i mean what are they what can they do now that isn't just mad max but with dinosaurs and that kind of sounds interesting but that's not jurassic park anymore is it the problem is is that what you're saying as far as like this is the only thing they could do right colin trevorrow has already confirmed that, that, that that's not what they're doing is he doing the next one yeah, so Why did they get him back? wrote this one, and now he's also <laughs> directing and writing the next one. So... Oh god, I wonder what the fucking weak link is in the crew then. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that as, I didn't mind Jurassic World. I liked it a lot more before I watched it again recently. Um, yeah, because didn't he make a terrible movie called The Book of Henry? I've heard The Book of Henry is terrible. <laughs> I don't know if it was terrible, but, but people don't like it, yeah. I guess quality's not guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've seen Safety Not Guaranteed, and uh, there's some charming moments, but that is a misguided film. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Colin Trevorrow is a misguided <laughs> fool, and I thank you for making the biggest franchise in the world right now that isn't Marvel. Congratulations. Uh, so, uh film I saw uh, soon after that was Hereditary. Uh, which is one of my favourite films of the year. Um, I've just kind of recently got into horror movies in general. I've always liked kind of classical horror films, and I've always been interested in watching ones that are often highly regarded, like from the 70s and 80s, The Shining, etc., etc. I'm a little bit of a pussy with more modern horror movies. Um, Hereditary was one of the scariest films I've seen in recent memory, Um, in a really good way, in in as much as... uh, I mean, there's. N- I'm sure I won't be the first to tell people, but there are practically no jump scares. At least there are no jump scares in the sense that they drown out the audio mix in this big loud noise to make you jump, regardless of what you're actually looking at. It's scary. Um, there's a, a scene in this movie where, oh, it, it literally preys on your most primal fear. It's all to do. With, I'm just gonna say it. There's a scene where um, Tony Collette, she's mourning from the death of her mother. Oh, God, you know what? I'm not even going to tell it, because it's so good, and I want people to experience it. Um, it's just it's one of those films where the, everything that is creepy about it is conveyed through mood, tone, performance. Um, the lighting is exceptional. The cinematography's really kind of bizarre. It's kind of... Fr- a lot of it is framed. The further into the movie you get, the wider and wider from the characters it becomes and Tony Collette's character is a model maker so a lot of that kind of plays into what what she does is she kind of makes little dioramas of memories of hers and that's kind of her way of dealing with grief so she she creates these kind of models of her mum in hospital and on her deathbed and stuff like that really kind of weird stuff and it obviously grims her husband out um and but the whole thing is really just a um it's a family drama uh kind of externalized in a horror setting um a lot of it is to do with kind of genetic diseases um and uh, the completely melancholic extremes that the film goes to does a really good job of selling the thematic idea of like this stuff is it's the it's the primal fear of this stuff is programmed into you that we are going to become our parents that we're going to be you know that we can't get away from 
tradition that we can't get away from all of that stuff it's who we are and that's a really palpable fear that i think everyone has felt in one way or another even if it's really small stuff um and i think the film does a really great job of externalizing that um with a kind of supernatural flavor i wish that i was wearing my glasses when i watched it because uh, i realized that i forgot them before the movie started as did jess and uh, she needs glasses when we're watching films as well and i said to her oh maybe you'll be fine literally the first thing that opens up is like text from a book on screen <laughs> and i went well fuck <laughs> you me. were just leaning in squinting like oh shit <laughs> yeah but but part of what so there's a there's a, a a shot where the camera follows a car and then it holds center frame on this on this uh kind of electrical pole or it's a lamppost or something um and i didn't actually find this out until after i'd seen the movie but apparently there is a there's a there's something on that lamppost that's supposed to give something away but what i found was i didn't even notice that i just thought that the cinematography the way that they'd shot that scene where it's following a car then it just stops center frame on this on this pole it's kind of eerie and it felt like a really good way of foreshadowing and i won't say where that goes um but just the fact that you know those elements of production design and photography that they're talking to each other and that you can you can feel those things in the way that the film's been directed and the 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 way that it has been composed that you don't need to necessarily read what whatever is on that post you can just feel it from the way that they've made that i think that's a sign of a really strong movie where all the different de- departments are working in unison everyone's kind of on form and they're talking to each other um sound design is terrific the performances are tremendous i mean this has even got um uh i the girl the actress's name fails me but um she's quite young and she's really terrific really creepy in it um for reasons that you don't really know uh, as you watch the film um yeah i thought this was genuinely really excellent and uh i can't quite buy it because it's too scary i don't really want it in my house but i thought it was really great (laughs) oh that's good (laughs) so uh our next movie is solo a star wars story now you two saw this when it came out i kind of took a stand and didn't see the movie when it came out uh for reasons as much as i thought this looked like it would suck um and uh i have never (laughs) ever been interested in a Han Solo movie and I thought it would be representative of everything wrong with Star Wars fandom with the the franchise digging up iconography and and name recognition and all that bollocks um but I did in the end end up watching it uh on at home um and I'm glad I didn't you know go out to go see it but what did you two think of it it's probably the most boring and bland and nothing Star Wars movie out of all, you know the current stuff. Um, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm dying. Um, is I liked it enough. Uh, I liked Han Solo. I liked Chumbacco. I liked. Um, um, yeah, I think that was it. I didn't like. The... Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, tough no, no. I, we, we, Kirk and I have talked about this for at length for a long, long time now, and we've come to the conclusion that if you just cut out like a middle hour, you should be fine. 
this is a reoccurring thing with some of these Star Wars movies. Of you know, you take out the Canto bite stuff. <laughs> and they've done a good movie here. Um, the the problem with Solo to me, I also did not give a crap going in because um, I, I really thought the trailers were displaying a bad movie. Um, and I saw it because I was like, you know what, I might as well just see it so I can talk about it. And um, I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Um, but in saying that, I enjoyed almost up until the very moment that Lando appears on screen. And, uh, you know, with all due respect to Donald Glover, I think he does a decent impression. But this version of the character just did nothing for me. Uh, especially his robot friend. I don't really want to get into that, but like, I, I like the first half of the movie. I like the idea of just a, a train heist set in the Star Wars universe. And, yeah, Han Solo and Chewbacca are there. That's fine. Um, you know, I don't really... I didn't really care about the uh, the Tandy Newton character. Um, uh, but I, you know, <laughs> there was also John Favreau as a monkey with I several like that. arms. That was neat. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, I, I like... Uh, Beckett enough um, but yeah like uh, to be fair the worst part of the movie also happens in the first half and that's the uh, hmm Han Solo <laughs> like that that was that was dumb do you remember like a couple of years ago there were reports of we will learn how Han got his name and people were like well we're not going to actually learn how he got yeah. named Han he... Solo it'll be like <laughs> yeah. how he got his name his as reputation. a smuggler in the galaxy <laughs> I um, oh, well. sorry, carry on. No, I'm pretty much done. I don't know what else there is to say. About it. I I like Paul Bettany in it. I think he's got really good presence in it. Um, when he's like, "Bring me one of the the hyperfuel things," like he's uh, he's really charismatic, and he is part of the uh, the uh, Ron Howard cut of the movie because he wasn't even in the script apparently for the the Lord and Miller cut. But I would have really liked to have seen what they did with the film. So, and I and I do uh, enjoy a lot of Ron Howard's work. He's done some of my favorite movies. But yeah, I think oh, well. I think I heard that part of the stipulations for Lawrence Kasdan writing the Force Awakens was that he he got it contractually uh, kind of set in stone that he would be allowed to make a Han Solo film. I've just heard that from word of mouth. I haven't looked it up, um, but I know that he did co-write this with his son mm -hmm. I believe um, yes and uh, I mean to be honest the stuff I actually quite like I do like for one I like Alden Echrin Reich or whatever his name is I think he's really good um, I, I mean so do we I. all worried yeah. when we heard that they got a coach in for him and I mean I'm sure that was just the internet blowing things out of proportion um, or maybe he did and uh, he's all the better for it but I really enjoyed him in Hail Same. Caesar. He only has a small part in that. Um, but that's where I knew him from. And I thought that he was a good choice for Han Solo. Um, I like the the stuff with him and Chewie. Uh, uh, you need to... You, uh, I'm not calling you Chewbacca every time. Why don't I call you <laughs> Chewie? It, it does all the, uh, like, uh, the awful it's, stuff it's that It's so stuff does, predictable. It's like, oh, you know the the thing in the movie, like a fan film, where we'll like, you know give you the little insight on on oh look, it's yeah. this. Yeah. They do that for almost every little aspect of Han Solo's character, 
how Han so everything that will ever happen to Han Solo was was uh, foreshadowed in twenty four hours. Um, yeah, the other thing that was missing was like so the that's Jabba's... The, I mean that stuff. Great. <laughs> Maybe you'll change your mind someday. <laughs> the what I found with the film was that I mean I thought it plodded along. The pacing was just kind of all over the place. It kind of kept stopping and starting every like when we meet Woody Harrelson and he's got Tandy Newton as his as his partner. Um, and then, like, they're doing a train heist, but then, oh, she's going to sacrifice herself or something like that. And, um, and I was like, what? Wait, what's happening? And then that happened, and then and then they got to form a new team, and I didn't really care. Um, what I actually liked was I actually... I didn't think I would like Donald Glover as Lando, um, but I kind of liked that Han and uh, Lando weren't, like, best mates they were more just kind of they knew each other and that was kind of their backstory that they were both kind of sleazy guys that kind of out space pirated each other i quite fancied that um amelia clark i mean you know from the moment she's on screen that she's going to be a baddie um (laughs) Um, the most awkward big return of a character within a movie like han keeps on talking about there's someone i love i gotta go back and save her then she just then appears. he just bumps into her and it's like oh uh, okay <laughs> I was like well that was convenient um yeah uh, next film on our list is Black Klansman which uh, Kirk and I have seen yes uh, I thought Black Klansman was excellent um, one of the most uh, chilling experiences I've ever had in a cinema and I've I guess I'll get this out of the way right away because the thing that everyone wants to talk about when it comes to this film is the final scene, if you can call it that. (laughs) Um, Just it leaves you like I'm I'm sort of getting chills again talking about it. Um, It just it it was the imagery that you see uh, after you've experienced this film. You're left on this note of kind of this slightly optimistic note, and then you just it, it crashes down to earth. Um, uh, John David Washington um, son of Denzel tremendous actor Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing him in more things Uh, Adam Driver is great Um, Topher Grace is also great Um, it's the funny thing where like there's certain aspects of the KKK scenes that are funny Um, I mean I give Spike Lee a lot of credit in 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 making those characters amusing, um, you know. Topher Grace is so fucking underrated, man. He is so good in everything. He is. Him. He's he's great. Yeah, That's true. Even um, uh, what was that movie with Jesse Eisenberg? Spider Man Three. And uh, oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> American uh, Ultra. That's it. Yes. He was so good. He was the best thing in that. <laughs> and it's just because he's similar to. Um, Similar to Michael B. Jordan, he's just a charisma machine. Yes. Um, the scene, one of the funniest scenes I think I saw in a movie this year was when he's on the phone uh, and he <laughs> does an impression of what he thinks a black man sounds like. And just like, <laughs> it's, it was very, I mean, he's, yes, it was very funny. Uh, he's, he plays David Duke in this, the king of the KKK. Um Yes, but just a, a, I thought a tr- tremendous movie, um, very relevant as well, and 
you know, like another anti-Trump. <laughs> yes, like you, you kind of you you get to the end of the movie, sort of, and you're like, well, I'm glad those days are behind us. Jesus Christ! And then you're reminded, no, they're not. They're still very much happening today. And Look, uh, that's exactly what I thought. Yeah, was the film's kind of main. That was its its core. Was that you spend however long this movie is but the last 10 minutes you spend all that time thinking wow isn't it so funny that this 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 kind of absurd story came out of these what 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 were really ridiculous social circumstances yeah. um and uh, the movie has you laughing along with it the whole time and then bam in the final final the final kind of point of the movie is that and here's reality and not a lot has changed and you know i i that casts such a spell over the audience like wow like everyone is completely take there are some movies where they don't need to be so um obvious and they don't need to kind of they don't need to kind of you know put their hands up and say okay look all joking aside this is this is the point um i thought it was really important that this movie did this especially considering the shot that ends the fictional content the, yeah. the fictional portion of the Ooh. movie it is such a it's a haunting image um and it's a perfect lead-in to kind of say there is still that fear uh, and there's still that hatred that's, um, that's the really when the movie ended there's still that hatred like yeah yeah it, it i mean it it, it brings you back to that reality not in a pandering way not in a beat you over the head with it like you know it it's just plain simple facts yeah. like any any all you have to do is is go online you'll find all these clips that the the film basically kind of put, like runs home um but when the film ended pure silence similar to what you were saying about avengers infinity war though for a completely different reason yeah, yeah. um they just felt like everyone's breath just got sucked away and uh, I was one of the people that started clapping after that kind of silence had gone on. And uh, I did it a little bit hard to be like, come on, everyone, that was really fucking good. And I did admittedly feel a little bit like the guy from the dad from Get Out in retrospect. <laughs> but I just thought that was I just thought that was so good. And I, I think Spike Lee has such command over his storytelling. I, I just I thought Black Klansman, this is also one of my favorites of the year. I just thought it was it just completely it struck a chord and i still think about it yes uh kirk you also saw a movie called the searching i which i know nothing about oh okay cool uh the searching i only saw this recently um and i was a little sad i, I missed it in the cinema but in, in another way i'm glad i did because i got to uh watch it on my computer which might be the proper way to see this it's a film that is set entirely on a computer screen um, sometimes on a phone screen. Uh, there have been other films like this and th that have been very gimmicky, and I don't think many of them are good. Um, like you know, I, I heard about Unfriended and, and films like that, but um, <laughs> this was really great. Um, it, it uses the setting to its advantage in terms of the mystery, and I mean, there's a reveal scene in this that had me on the edge of my seat. There's no dialogue like the main character is just looking at website pages just working it out and it's it's incredible um john cho is the lead he's great as always 
it was a personal favorite of mine this year. Um, I, I really only have praise to give it. I'd recommend checking that out. I don't really have much else to say because I don't want to talk too much else about it, but a father is talking to his daughter. Uh, the daughter calls him in the middle of the night um, and then is, is not home the next morning and is missing. And, uh, yeah, so it, it's really, really great. I'd recommend it. Is it directed by anyone notable? I don't think it is. Um, I'll have a quick look here. Anish Giganti. I mean, he's got nothing other, like, huge names on there. Oh, well, good for him. Yeah. Uh, you also saw a movie called A Simple Favor, <laughs> which uh, I do know about, and I didn't go see this. Oh, A Simple Favor. Um, People really like this movie, huh? <laughs> Where to begin? Um... No, see, knowing your reaction is specifically why I put this on the list. <laughs> yeah, I figured that was the case. I remember that tweet you put out. Yeah, like, a really neat mystery that I was legitimately invested in until a reveal is handled like it's not a reveal at all and it's just another scene. Um, and it's a film that was like a, a cool, creepy thriller for a while with a couple of comedic elements here and there. It just becomes a straight comedy by the end of the film. Um, I was bewildered at what I was watching. The final 30 minutes of this film is probably the most frustrating experience I've ever had watching a movie. Um, most of the audience was laughing. Uh, I was dumbfounded at how we got there. But, um, you know, yeah, people liked this. Uh, both Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively are both very good. Um spoilers I, I maybe could have done without the incest scene um <laughs> with no context that's beautiful <laughs> uh it's so Blake Lively can can uh, say the word brotherfucker a uh, hundred times and it's so funny every time um <laughs> it's based on a book and I wondered if the film was so tone deaf and had scenes missing because it was adapted from a book and they, they cut scenes out for time purposes or whatever but I don't believe that's the case. Um, and based on research done by Anthony's girlfriend, Ray, people who read the book didn't think this should be adapted into a film. So that says something. Um, I understand what uh, Mr. Paul Feig was trying to do here. Um, it was not for me. But a lot of people liked it. So that's that. That's not the same guy that did the Ghostbusters reboot. Oh, it is. Yeah. Well, he's doing good for himself, isn't he? <laughs> it's weird, because they were, they were advertising a simple favour, basically, like it was another Gone Girl, and from the sounds of it, that's yes. not what they should have been doing. Well, it presents itself like another Gone Girl um, for a good portion of the film. But... It, and it's funny, because the trailers also advertise it as the darker side of Paul Feig. And then by the end of the... F yeah, that was... I remember that being a big yeah, part of it. And yeah, and, like, the trailer kind of got me. I was like, I wouldn't mind saying that. And, um... The, by the end, it's it's just... It's actual Paul Feig. Like, it's it's his... <laughs> it's his style of comedy. And, I was, like I said, I was just dumbfounded. I was like, how did we get here? What is happening? Um... I just... This was... I Like I said, I was dumbfounded. So so frustrated wow. by the end of this movie and I just stood up <laughs> and I was like I hated that and I, I left <laughs> so yeah mm -hmm.
Uh, owing to that uh, that topic, I guess this is a nice segue. Brad Bird, etc. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, which was not directed by Brad Bird, but a previous <laughs> Mission Impossible movie was directed by Brad Bird. So thank uh, you very two much. films ago, he, he directed <laughs> uh, Ghost Protocol. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just go really quick. Um, I going into this film, actually, Anthony, you should start because I, I, <laughs> I did this because you recommended this, but uh, I watched all of the Mission Impossible films leading up to this. Yeah, uh, okay. some of them for the first time. So yeah, go ahead. <laughs> So, um, this movie was coming out, and prior to 2018, I had not seen a single Mission Impossible film, and wow, I really? was just going to go ahead and see this to support Henry Cavill, um, and then, <laughs> and I, his, don't, and his I don't know, yeah, I was like, you know what, that mustache must be worth it, and it, spoiler alert, it is, but um, because of that, I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy all the films, there's like a, a box set kind of thing on Amazon, so I ordered that. And my girlfriend and I, we sat down and we spent a day and we watched Mission Impossible 1 through 5 for the first time for both of us. And I really enjoyed myself. I think this is a fantastic franchise that feels like a a franchise, but at the same time, every film feels so different and unique and it feels like its own flavor. And it feels like it comes out in the era that it came out. So Mission Impossible 1 feels different from... Two, which feels different from Abrams three, and it's it's so interesting that a franchise has kind of gone under the radar too. It's it's like this is 2018, and it's it's six movies in, but it's not like known for being this huge, amazing, like all oh, the newest Mission Impossible movie. It's like oh yeah, they're making another one. Okay, sure. Um, so I was I was really excited going into it, and I I love this film. I mean, we we talk about how you know the Marvel films and. Not just Marvel, but a lot of films, they, they go big with their, their CGI action scenes and everything like that. But this movie is so refined and crafted and so nice. I just, oh, it's so nice to look at. It's so much fun. I love the character of Tom Cruise in the movie. <laughs> um, I, I love that he's very similar to like the Marvel Netflix stuff where he's a hero that can get knocked down. For example, there's the the bathroom scene, which is a brawl between three different men. And for a good chunk of that, he's just getting knocked down and knocked down and knocked down, (laughs) but he keeps getting back up. And for that, you you feel for him a bit more than, say, if they were all just flying around in a circle doing nonsense. The fact that they're able to, you know, bleed and get tired to the point where he's like, hold on, give me a second. Like, I gotta gotta catch my breath because I'm, I'm, you know, pushing 90 years old as Tom Cruise. (laughs) <laughs> it's it was beautiful I, I really loved it and the fact that it ties in so much with the other previous films where that's essentially why I, I suggested watching them all to, to Kirk beforehand is you know I, I you may probably could just go into it having a good time but it helps if you know where these characters and story and everything's coming from so that way when reveals do happen and you know things are called back to it, it feels important and you, you feel that that real hit for these characters which I did there, there was genuinely moments where I was like, oh my god, they're bringing this back, or they're mentioning this. Like, it's all connected. They're not just going to be like, eh, you know, different director, different writer, let's forget the last one. We don't have to care about that. They they have an effort to make this feel like it's a continuous story to a point without impeding where they're trying to go in the future. And, yeah, I don't know. It's it's great. Um, I, I, I find it funny that poor Jeremy Renner couldn't get Avengers. He couldn't get Mission Impossible. He got Tag. And that was his year. 
So, <laughs> and that's why he was trending when the Endgame trailer came out. <laughs> I feel like he's alive. Um. Yes. So I before this, I'd seen the fourth and the fifth one. I'd seen uh, Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation, and I went back and watched the first one for the first time. Uh, the second one, I'd seen a couple of scenes of. One of them I was there in person for. Um, <laughs> I, I watched that for the proper first time. And the third one, which I'd never seen, and I'd seen plenty of people use footage of uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman for that movie, for The Penguin, uh, in fan trailers. But, um, yeah, going back and watching them all, and, and watching the, the fourth and fifth ones again, uh, just, yeah, really enhanced my experience. The journey that the Ethan Hunt character has gone on uh, really meant something when you watch them all together. And, yeah, I thought this was... I mean, it's been hailed as, like, the best action film, you know, in years, and I definitely agree. It just... You feel it, you know. Obviously, Tom Cruise actually got injured, you know, making this. Uh, hence the mustache fiasco in um, Justice League. But, yeah, I just... I just adored this movie. I've, I've seen it a couple of times now, and... Uh, I, I just love it. I don't know what else to say. It's just it's do you really, tremendous. Do you really not feel compelled to watch the films that you've been in? Well, I when I I no, but I mean I'm I'm <laughs> not really. I don't have dialogue in Mission Impossible too. So um, it is you a have great a ball. Scene. <laughs> I do. I have a ball. It's yes. trying to get rid of the ball. <laughs> I get look. I've I've mentioned this to Anthony like. You've never seen a kid like catch a ball and then have it leave his hands so quick. Like that young man does not want to be holding that ball for some reason, and that young man was <laughs> me. Um, but for those for those who are curious, I mean, the final scene of Mission Impossible Two, uh, when he's making out with uh, the previously mentioned uh, Tandy Newton, Tandy Newton, excuse me, yes, um, who blew herself up in Solo, um, <laughs> yes, for fun, for fun been a hell of a ride babe <laughs> <laughs> and there was kirk in the back of solo playing with the ball <laughs> playing with the ball playing with this previous footage from 2000 for some reason uh i ended up seeing this movie because it was a uh, it was a staff screening that we were doing and i didn't go to many staff screenings when i was working at this cinema because it had three screens and uh, if you were to go to a staff screening, it's going to start at 11.45 midnight sort of time. So you got to be happy with being up at about 2, 3 in the morning. And frequently mm. I was not. Um, but I went to go see Mission Impossible because I really wanted to see it. Um, and I thought it was really great. I have seen... I think the only one I hadn't seen in its entirety at that point was Mission Impossible 2. And I ended up going and watching Mission Impossible 2 after the facts. Because I think it was that you... you mentioned that it was like really schlocky and fun uh and i totally yeah. agree uh, i thought it was it, it like dragged in the middle but then like oh the ending is oh it's too good the ending makes up for it yeah, the ending's so good um and uh, i really like the mission impossible films uh and i think that jj abrams and brad bird in their combined efforts to kind of weave a story and give ethan hunt some kind of character i think from there the series was really prevailed and and they've really done some interesting stuff with it i like that i think kai uh had expressed this on twitter in a really great way kind of saying that ethan hunt is a little bit of a crazy guy but you know that he means well and so he will you know 
drive a car off a cliff and just hope for the best because he's such a he just won't stop trying and he, so he's kind of insane but you still kind of really like him I like that character uh, and it totally reflects Tom Cruise because he'll break his ankle and then keep running on and, and th- uh, that shot is so beautiful that it is yeah I love the story that he tells that he knew the moment that he so for people that aren't aware Tom Cruise uh, when he the, in the scene that where he broke his ankle he jumps between two buildings Obviously, he was wired up, but in the he, he recounts the story that the second he clipped his foot, he knew that he'd broken his ankle. He also knew that uh, production was going to get delayed by weeks. Um, and uh, if anyone has made a film before, you know what hell it is to set one up and do all of that logistical stuff and, and all the paperwork. And so what does he do? He gets up and he keeps on running. And obviously, he's limping. <laughs> But it makes it better because you probably would be limping after you made a jump like that. Like, those <laughs> kinds of touches are really nice. The whole movie just kind of feels like a back-to-basics kind of, you know, blunt stunt. It's kind of a stunt work showcase, but it's all held together by the cast. Uh, Simon Pegg continues to really be a fun addition to this franchise. Um, he does, yeah. Henry Cavill is really fun in this it's so nice to see him play charismatic characters and i really liked him in the man from uncle as well even if that movie was kind of you know no one remembers that anymore um (laughs) but yeah i thought the movie just the way that it approached its action it just felt far kind of nitty grittier than previous films and as as the guy that's getting sick of all the cgi characters flying about and you know it's all a bit messy i just liked that you know Tom Cruise really is skydiving. He's he really is, and I'm not one of these people that you know constantly bashes CGI when it's used well. It's used well, but I thought this was just a really visceral kind of action movie. You like you say, Kirk, you felt every single hit and every fall, um, and you you just you feel the 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 brutality of of all that stuff. Um, and actually, the um, as you were saying, Anthony, the the fight in the bathroom, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, They Live, the fight that just goes on for about fifteen minutes. <laughs> yes. In in as much as it's just like they're just they keep they just got to keep going, and there's almost a it's it's like an it's like a, a mental dialogue between the 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 protagonist and the antagonist, like oh my god, I'm exhausted, but we've got to keep going, like that stuff, like. And the the filmmaking is done so well that you really do feel that. Um, I thought it was, tre- was tremendous. I really want to buy it and watch it again. Because, um, yeah, what what a movie. I definitely agree that this is probably the action standout of the year, without a doubt. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, next movie on our list is a film that I sorely wanted to see and I unfortunately couldn't find anywhere near me that was showing it. It was Sorry to Bother You, which, Kirk, you were fortunate enough to see. I did see Sorry to Bother You. Um... Sorry to Bother You is a weird little film. Um, man, I don't know how to break this so down. So can, um, can I ask, because I, yes. I, I read a kind of like quick little premise synopsis thing that said it takes place in an alternate reality or something? This is the hard part, because... And one of my criticisms of the film is that it's a little too serious in parts to be completely bizarre and weird but it's too bizarre and weird to be taken completely seriously right. 
Um, Cause I didn't, I, I only heard like, that, that, um, that idea like last week. So that completely spun yeah, me out. Well, I don't know if it's an alternate reality or an alternate future or something, but like it's, it's about <laughs> people who work in the call center, like them getting their rights and, and the correct pay and standing up against the man. Um, but you know, while this is happening, the lead, uh, uh, I think his name is Lakeith Stanfield. Um, he's the guy in Get Out who yells, "Get out!" <laughs> um, he he uh, he's a is a, a black guy who puts on his white guy voice um, to be a better salesman, and the white guy voice is voiced by David Cross. Um, so, seeing a, a a black man with the voice of Tobias from Arrested Development is pretty amusing. Um, his, his name finally he, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but he he becomes this great salesman, and like there's this weird stuff where like he'll be in the elevator, and it's like a motivational speech, and they'll say like, uh, "Cash, you're a great salesman. We hope you haven't masturbated today." And it's like, what? <laughs> Excuse me. And like I said, the film is just is just so weird. And I mean, the director Boots Riley, he he really has a vision, and I applaud him for that. Um, like Tessa Thompson's really good and Stephen Ewan from Walking Dead is really good Army Hammer has a small role in it and he's very funny um, like it's the the atmosphere and the setting is unique and bizarre and I admire it for that I don't know if I enjoyed it enough to recommend seeing it um, if you're interested in seeing it then I would recommend it but if you had no interest originally then I, I wouldn't say well you should go out of your way like it i didn't think it was that um but yeah i just it's it's just weird um yeah okay i'm still somewhat intrigued maybe more so yeah um the uh the one that we've all been waiting for uh venom (laughs) how do do we even talk about this without going on about it for 25 minutes like what was this movie that's a damn good question. <laughs> it was so motivational that for a brief time I had my own Twitter account just to talk about the nonsense in this film. It is so <laughs> yes, you did. fucking bizarre. And I have no idea how anyone can go, oh, you know, that wasn't that bad. It was actually pretty good. I'm surprised. Because every single scene in that film could be broken down into why it's just one of the dumbest movies ever <laughs> and it, it's it's ridiculous I mean Tom Hardy my god dude like he gives it his all he, sure he puts in a performance but like what is this performance who asked for this performance <laughs> I don't know I guess the director did and they rolled the camera and they went okay here we go I mean it's just it's so bad it's so ridiculous Venom calls himself a loser at one point. <laughs> yes, he does. It's a romantic comedy <laughs> in so many ways, to the point where retroactively they were like, oh, well, let's push this movie as a silly, fun time. Meanwhile, you look at the first teaser, and it's nothing like that at all. So, I mean, nope. I'll, I'll give props to Sony for adapting. And they realized, like, oh, this movie's really stupid, but it's making money, so let's let's buy into it as if we knew the whole time that it's a silly film. I mean, Riz Ahmed, probably the worst, like, villain character this year. Oh, my God. 
Yeah. It. I mean, it does things that, like, all the comic book fans, the, like, the really superficial ones will like. Like, there's tons of dialogue but, ripped from but books is there, and scenes and references. Is there things in yeah. it that they'll no, like? Yeah, no, I'm saying as far as, like, the, the the videos about Easter eggs and top ten lists, they're all technically there. It's just so, so weird, like, though, you... because, like, he's not the Venom of the comics, which I thought was going to be the... No, 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 no. You're, you're misunderstanding okay. me. I don't mean on, like, an actual quality level. <laughs> I'm saying in the sense of, you know, this line of dialogue, this literal line of dialogue. Right. I don't care the context of it. That is in there. All the little like, oh, that's you can tell where this storyline is pulled from. It's actually pulled from this, you know, miniseries from Venom back in the nineties, or oh well that's that's a nod to Ultimate Venom because he also John Jameson was a astronaut. I mean, right in the beginning of the film, stuff like that happens and you're like, Oh, okay, so there there is they did something. They did research to <laughs> there, a there's point, potential pathos. There's, and that's what I mean as far as the superficial fans. Right, it's I like, see what oh, you're well, saying. They did mention this, and they they do do that, and they reference this, and it's all you know. It's it's technically like Lethal Protector in this way, blah 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 blah. But no, Venom himself is is a weird like they don't know which one they want to please. Like, do we want to please like the ones that think he's like a horror monster from the mid two thousands or the early you know late eighties? Do we want to make him goofy? Do we want to make him like a wisecracking guy? Is he relatable? Is he a sympathetic character? Is he... What is he? I don't know. He he does like Spider-Man stuff. Like he shoots his goo um, like a web in a sense. And he, he does things. I, I, I don't know. It was you, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about Venom. Um... <laughs> Yeah, look, I just don't know what to say. Um, I was the fool who watched that first trailer and went, you know what? <laughs> I think they're going to be making a movie here. Hashtag give Venom a chance. I, I fucking put that into motion. Boy, howdy, was I in for a rude awakening. And, and speaking as someone that legitimately said the sentence I hope this movie fails when I watched the first trailer. Yeah. I'm still not happy that this is the movie that we got. It was just a bit of emotional excitement in that moment. Um, I'll give more of a kind of backstory for, for what happened when I went, when I saw this movie because I've, I've reviewed it already. Earlier that day, we had a really kind of big tank of a guy who was clearly really drunk, uh, just being really homophobic and uh, just like being really just being a huge dick at, at this is when I was this is at the cinema oh um, and he was like hitting on my co-worker who was gay which was just awkward um, and uh, oh. so anyway they went into the movie and then people started coming out and saying that he was being completely ridiculous and his mate was um, was vaping in the in the cinema and it was it was the premiere oh, night God. it was the first night of Venom uh, and so it was packed. Well, as it sounds appropriate. When yes, you think about it. <laughs> it was absolutely packed. Everyone came out to see Venom, uh, and it's like it, it's. I mean, they say it for a bunch of movies, but it was something like the best opening weekend of October or something like that. Um, mm. I mean, they say that for any bloody obscure month that any movie comes out. But um, either way, we went down and we had to kick them out, and it took us like half an hour to get them out without necessarily like pushing or touching oh, this Jesus. guy he was really intimidating and he kept walking up to me and i thought he was going to completely destroy me because i am not a big chap um 
Don't sell yourself short, Sam. You're scrappy. You, you could have taken. Well, it. I stood my ground. I didn't take a step back, which is the only thing that I. Yeah, you did. Yeah, exactly. I planted myself like a tree, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, the guy left eventually after um, a tug of war between my manager and him and some popcorn, um, and uh, oh, yeah, God. it was. It got a bit. A got a bit uh, intense. Either way, he left. And I was originally set to finish my shift. This is like 9.15 or 9.30 that I was going to end. I turned to my colleague and I said, I need a drink. Um, So we went to the bar next door. um, And uh, I hadn't eaten really anything that day. So I had three pints and I was drunk already. And I decided to go to the staff screening of Venom. Um, Because why not? I mean, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to give my money to the movie and staff screening i was going to watch it for free so i thought yeah whatever um so i so keep in mind i was already drunk the editing of this movie made me feel like i'd had eight pints like it was so <laughs> so weirdly cut and so like i felt like i was getting dizzy just like watching everything play out it was so like one of the examples i give in my review is that eddie and um his girlfriend what's her name what's the character's name michelle williams okay michelle williams um (laughs) they like established that they're like hopelessly in love and isn't this wonderful and then like there's a scene in between and then the next scene she's like kicking him out of her house and it's so like they've just got to get to the next bit i mean it really felt to me exactly what i thought the movie was going to be which was just and i don't want to be the you know sony suck guy because as we've seen from this year sony can make good films um they they can make make great films films. they they fucking did blade runner 2049 and they've sony classics did whiplash i've never once said that sony only make shit um because i know i got a bit of flack for that this year uh but this really did just feel like sony caught with its pants down in the the most sony possible way this this felt like even more of an embarrassment than the amazing spider-man 2 in some ways um it just uh, i was I, I spent most of the movie laughing at it in fact when at the beginning when it says in association with marvel you you just heard me at the back of the cinema going lol because <laughs> it's just what an embarrassment it's so embarrassing for them and like yeah so i mean i i, I found parts of it funny but by the end of it, I won't lie, I I still kind of hated it. I am shocked that they didn't do the quote-unquote comic-accurate version of Venom in as much as it's a symbiotic relationship rather than Venom just kind of takes over Tom Hardy's body and Eddie just kind of chats away in the background while Venom does all the stuff and it's not real. they don't really have combined goals. No, which is a shame because you... There, there clearly is something set up for that. There, they both could have done something with the Life Foundation yeah. and how it's like, you know, ah, the Life Foundation cost me my job. It's like, oh, the Life Foundation kidnapped all my friends and I hate them. No, it wasn't that at all. I guess they just wanted to jump around the city yeah. a little bit. And Venom wants to stay on Earth because he likes it here. Yeah, he jumped on top of a building and looked around and was like, ooh, that was it. It's, it, yeah, it was a bizarre experience watching this and just being kind of shocked at, like, how dumb this film was. And 
it just like at no point did they think like okay this is bad this is bad this doesn't work this is silly like credit where credit is due I, I will say there's one scene I do really like and if you watch this scene alone in a bubble it's like that was a really good Venom scene um, in terms of like a representation of the character and it's the mask copy <laughs> scene um, I do like that as like Venom as a scary character that this SWAT team is trying to take down and they just can't do it because it's Venom like uh, there's a Wilhelm scream that's really loud which to me it feels like the director lost a bet or something or was like he told his friend like I'm gonna put the loudest Wilhelm scream you've ever heard in this movie and I'm gonna get away with it like it felt like that it's basically every creative decision um, in this movie I'm gonna make <laughs> yes, the wrong and... decision and get away with it yeah um I mean I just I couldn't believe it when we saw the riot symbiote go from uh, John Jameson to that nurse to that old lady uh, and then like a year passes and it's still with the old lady and she enters America like my buddy turned to me and went oh she got her visa <laughs> um, and like they couldn't have just had like a completely random person appear at the airport and with their blank stare and their darkened eyes, like, we would have figured it out. That would imply there's you know? any semblance of visual storytelling going on here. Yeah, just... And then a little girl somehow winds up in the Life Foundation? Just, yeah, I... It, this was a very, very silly movie, and it, it's... The big climax at the end is just two piles of goo just flying around, and it's hard to see what's happening, like... I just this film was embarrassing and like I got so much respect for Tom Hardy he tries so hard one of the best parts of the film is Eddie and Venom's relationship because they're both played by uh, Tom Hardy so they've got chemistry um, so it's basically legend but yes it's, it's legend um, except the kids yeah I, yeah you know what props to Sony for not putting She-Venom in any of the marketing of this film was, yeah. that took great restraint but, I imagine <laughs> I assure you somebody wanted to there were uh, talks of like can we do it with this we can we put she it in the Venom. critic spot like what can we do to promote She-Venom the funny thing was everyone assumed yeah. that like the biggest problem was that Spider-Man wasn't in it believe me you could have done you could have legitimately made a decent film out of this stuff to do with drug addiction and the dark corners of our psyche there's loads of potential in a Venom premise and uh, yeah the fact that Spider-Man was not in this and that they couldn't reference him was far from the movie's problems yes and screw all you hypocrites that, that always go on about like you know comic accuracy like you you came out in floods for this movie and you came and watched it so many times it doesn't even rectify the problems that you had with Spider-Man 3 like what do you guys want there was a uh, a top uh, watch mojo video of the top 10 things that are great about venom <laughs> that anthony and i watched together and um beforehand i said it'll say something like it might not be black panther or avengers and then anthony said and then they'll continue with but it's better than that last one starring venom yeah <laughs> we were dead 120% on the money 
That's exactly we, how they opened the video. And we recommend you go check out the video and just imagine what our reactions were when we said word for word exactly how it opens. <laughs> sure hit the floor. Like, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. They were that predictable. But that is how a lot of people were with this. Well, it's just an excuse and, um, for everyone to go on about Spider-Man 3 again. That's part of why I, I just wasn't interested, because yeah. I just knew that everyone's first line of, the, every, of, of their review was, so Spider-Man 3 was terrible. Like, God, I haven't heard that before. I'll tell you what's Don't... terrible. Next time, there's gonna be carnage. Oh, next time, I'm gonna have an even sillier win. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked that anyone was surprised by that after credit scene. Um, so, uh, cooling down from that um, is a film that I think was probably the best movie I saw all year, and that is First Man. Should we go ahead and, and talk about our theater experience first before going into the actual story, considering that it is a very good film? Yes, uh, we should. <laughs> this We had a very strange experience in the cinema for this. So we're, uh, we, I went to our, our normal theater, um, which is, for those of you who may know, it's the Harkins in Southlake. And um, we go in, you know, we're, we're watching the trailers, we're having a normal time. And the logo starts... And it's it's like watching like a scratched DVD. It's like buffering, mm-hmm. and the, there's a sound. It's like argh, argh. <laughs> like it's having a hard time reading <laughs> it. And it, it's it's the normal logo, and it's it's pulling, and it's going along. And I guess this isn't really a, a spoiler of much, but if you've seen the opening of First Man, it's very shaky. And so, it they they, they it, the the theater's doing this thing where it's like it's it's stopping it, and it starts again. And stopping it, it starts again, and it's just going like, Argh. and we waited probably like ten minutes while like the fucking manager comes out, and he's like, oh, you know, give us just a moment. We we do apologize, and they pass out like free movie tickets, and then eventually they have to move us to another screen, <laughs> and then we have to watch it in there, and it worked out perfectly. But that was the, <laughs> the first experience of seeing First Man was. Uh, a nightmare of uh, visuals <laughs> one of my favorite parts of that as well was like it, it, it was having trouble playing the studio logos and Anthony goes oh I better go tell someone and leaves and then like you said the movie actually starts and it's it's uh, Neil Armstrong in like a test I think it might be in a plane or something like that and it's it's really shaky and suddenly Ray and I went uh oh was that intentional did Anthony just leave for no reason uh but it, he left for a reason it wasn't meant to be like that and then when we actually <laughs> watched the movie it kind of made us chuckle of like wow that was just it could have been intentional it was hard to tell um but yes uh I the, 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 the opening of that movie is an attack on the senses so I don't yes. blame you guys for that <laughs> uh but yeah I thought First Man was really great um Ryan Gosling is just one of those actors that I just have time for. Uh, he's such a tremendous actor. Um, Claire Foy, I've not seen any of The Crown, but uh, I, I uh, her reputation precedes her, and uh, she's really great in this as well. Um, just on a comedic note, one of my favorite parts of the movie is the fact that uh, Buzz Aldrin um, is just a complete dickhead. Uh, they betray him to be such an asshole uh, so that was amusing um, but yeah I, I thought visually this was uh, 
really great, um, a really, really nice ending moment. Um, yes, I, I, I just got distracted by something. Um, yeah, I, I, I really liked it. I'm rambling. Someone else talk. Yeah, I, I agree. It was, it was a very, very good film. Uh, a lot of people tend to have a problem with Ryan Gosling's performances, um, kind of comparing him to uh, you know, a robot of sorts. And recently, he's been getting the perfect parts. So, I mean, it's the, the realization of Neil Armstrong is kind of a, I'm not going to say a boring man, but he's a very standard man, and he's got problems going on in his head that he's not vocalizing. And that performance comes out beautifully. Uh, I'm quite a fan of, of the Gosling, so I, I enjoyed him a lot in this. And there's and anyone who genuine... says he's bland is is missing his other performances, like, mm. like you know, like Nice Guys and things like that, where he's really. I was going to say, just go watch Nice Guys. Nice yeah. Guys is my favorite performance of his. I think that that movie is stellar. Even the Notebook is a is an example yes. of how he's not a robot. Like any, just go watch movies. He's, he's <laughs> yeah, my so dad. Go watch and... movies. <laughs> <laughs> crazy stupid love he's really charismatic and like if you just seek out like uh place beyond the pines and drive and things like that it's like blue yes, valentine similar roles but yes but yeah very emotional very suspenseful very tasteful um yeah it's 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 very quality film very quality i i really loved it and i didn't really know much about uh, the the backstory about Neil Armstrong ha- having had a daughter uh, yeah. or any of that stuff. So I was completely caught off guard. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, and I, I really loved Whiplash. I've grown to really love La La Land. Um, but not many people came out to, to see this. Uh, it, it was out for a little bit. Not a lot of people went to it. We had it in our smallest screen at the cinema because it was playing at the same time as Venom and I think Bohemian Rhapsody had started as well, so it kind of came and went. But I, um, I really loved it, and part of why I loved it was that the I think the emphasis on the peril of you know the journey to to the mission on uh, to the moon, that really having those sequences be viscerally scary. The 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 idea that you know it really is just these guys in tin cans and outside there is nothing. Um, I thought the film sold that really well and the fact that it tied all of it into this kind of little intimate character study of this guy who can't really emote and part of it is to do with that that time period um and just kind of I think that there is a bit of a suggestion of kind of toxic masculinity um at this point in time uh, and it's it's incredibly subtle and you um, some people may choose to see it or not um but I thought it was really well uh done and i think just the idea of neil armstrong just kind of wanting to you he says that he wants to go to the moon because he believes in all the nasa ideals and blah 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 but i think it's a really lovely notion that he just kind of wants to almost break free of the atmosphere to get away from it all and it's it's ultimately about him kind of finding himself and and finding true peace it's really beautiful um, the cinematography is gorgeous, um, and I, I I absolutely love Ryan Gosling. I think he's a terrific actor, um, and I just thought this was this was made with such fidelity 
and uh, I just love that it, it's basically a, it's a drama it's a it's a character study it's not really like there were idiots that took their 12 year olds to this and obviously their 12 year old kids were talking because the parents saw that it was an astronaut on the cover and they thought they were watching Interstellar or The Martian or whatever um, I mean kids will be bored completely bored in this movie absolutely um, yes and I know because they were bored when I went to see it and uh, <laughs> it was very annoying but I uh Oh, I just thought this really touched me. I just thought it was a really beautiful character study. Um, and now I'm starting to ramble. Uh, so uh, we'll say we really, we all really liked First Man. Very Highly good. recommend it. Uh, so sure. our next movie is Bohemian Rhapsody uh, that only Anthony has seen. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, I saw Bohemian Rhapsody and Bohemian Rhapsody is fine uh so there's a bit of like a controversy behind this movie because i mean for a lot of reasons now years and, and years back they had announced this film with sasha baron cohen playing the lead and it was going to be more of an in-depth analysis of freddie mercury as a person and obviously the the checkered past and everything that went into the the, the you know the controversies of that man's life and then the band queen stepped in and said no, 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 no. We we want a Queen movie. We want a movie to take the family to. We want a commercially viable film, essentially. And then, of course, that made uh, Cohen completely drop out of here. And that I can see why. You know, he doesn't want to do a commercial. He wants he wanted to make a film. And they got Brian Singer to direct. And then that whole thing became a controversy because he was fired and. It's really even more awkward now because Singer will continuously posts like behind the scenes stuff on his Instagram, yeah. but there's stories of like him fighting with uh, Remy Malik and all this stuff. It's not showing up on set. It's really really weird. That being... and and there's also the resurgence of of him and possible pedophilia and stuff like that. I, yeah, it's very much an uncomfortable movie approaching it. Yeah, so I mean if. If you're able to get get the pedophiles out of your mind, um, then <laughs> it's a it's a pretty standard enjoyable film. I can never uh, take the pedophiles. Um, <laughs> I've heard a, allegedly. If you can get the allegedness out of your head, then you should be fine. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's perfectly fine. It's it's, it's incredibly entertaining. Um, I feel like the performances are really good. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. It's it's one of those things where people tend to go into like a biopic of sorts. And when it covers a man's entire life, they go, oh, you didn't cover ages, you know, 16 to 19 in incredible detail. And it's like, well, the movie was two hours long. So I don't really know what to tell you. I mean, half of the movie is about Queen and their music and how, you know, they get the band back together and how they come up with their iconic music. And then the other half of the movie is essentially the downfall of, of Freddie Mercury and you know what happens with him and for for what the movie is it's it's very proficient and it's very good at what it's doing if you go in and more of a fluff piece more of just enjoyment of what it is then I think you should be fine if you're going in for maybe a more critical take on the person in question and really get into the down and dirty there is some of that but it's not as much as you may want and it, it's really not dwelled into. I know a lot of people were also questioning of like, oh, why don't they go into more of his heritage and and things like that? Because that's a part of who he is and how he kind of 
denounces everything about his his family name and and th- that that part of him it's it's touched on but it's not what the movie is really about and I, you know, for those kind of things I always tell people I, I'm sure there are books and and documentaries about this very thing so don't go see Brian Singer's Bohemian Rhapsody and expect you know a four hour long in depth analysis so it's it's enjoyable for what it is you just have to know going in what it is otherwise you might not like it. Another movie I saw, I'll be really quick, uh, was uh, The Old Man and the Gun, uh, which is a... It's got Robert Redford in it. It's a film by David Lowery, who uh, last year directed A Ghost Story, which was my favourite film of the year. Um, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. It's like it's one of the... Every, Any time I go to see an art house film, I'm always aware that I'm pro- something's probably not going to quite click with me. It's always a little bit ambiguous, and I just kind of have to accept that. David Lowry, it feels like he speaks my language. Anytime I watch a movie that he's done, I already feel like we're in the same mindset and I completely get what he's going for. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. The, the premise is effectively, it's based on a true story. Um, Robert Redford plays a, a, a man who is uh, in his 70s um, and he basically robs banks. But the way he does it is he walks up to the, the teller and he says, excuse me, madam. Uh, I just want you to know that I'm going to be um, I'm robbing this bank, this is my gun I'd hate for you to get hurt so if you just kindly put the money in the bag and I'll be on my way and he does this absolutely charming smile and basically the whole movie is effectively about how irresistible Robert Redford is in his charm no one can quite dislike this guy um, and really the movie, I mean genre wise it, it it kind of reminded me of a lot of kind of like prime time 70s detective shows uh, where it's got like you know uh, the camera is sitting on a high rise building and it kind of does those zoom ins uh, it really felt like, I mean it even reminded me of the Nicholas Holt Spider-Man shows and like some black exploitation cinema and stuff like that uh, so it's got a really nice kind of um, tone that feels quite, quite well realised um but I, I gotta admit, this movie just made me smile so goddamn hard. I mean, there's a point where Casey Affleck, who is the king of mumbling, um, uh, bumps in. They, he's the detective trying to track him down, and the scene where they finally meet. I mean, I had a huge grin on my face. It was so enjoyable to watch. Um, this is a really lovely movie, uh, and if any of you guys just want, it's not it's not a hard watch, um, but it's it's really good. I'd really recommend it. I just thought it was quality stuff yeah that's on my list of stuff to watch I, I don't think that's actually come out in Australia yet but uh, I'm uh, looking forward to seeing it but yeah uh, David Lowry keep an eye out for that man he's he's good um, Bad Times at the El Royale which everyone but me saw <laughs> other people speak now <laughs> Kirk you can take the lead on this sure um, I loved Bad Times at the El Royale. I had a ball watching this film. Um, once again, atmospherically, aesthetically, uh, this was a film I just thought was super neat. Um, I, I don't want to use the very cool thing, but like, it was just a cool <laughs> movie. Um, I Similar to uh, Hotel Artemis. Um, I just had that feeling of like, man, this is... If I was making a movie, I'd, I'd want it to look like this. Like, it just... it. I enjoyed the characters... Um, I will be completely honest, I'm a big fan of, of Mr. Chris Hemsworth, but uh, when he enters the movie, uh, 
it loses me a little bit, um, if I'm going to be completely honest. Um, but Jeff Bridges is great, and John Hamm is great, and uh, it, it, everyone point. in this is great. Um, but I just, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the uh, the music, the singing, <laughs> the actual live singing. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was just a super neat film, and it does this really creative thing where you know, it's however many people it is in the one hotel, six or seven people, and uh, we get an introduction to everybody sort of all at once, and then we get individual sort of origins for each person and why they're there and what exactly they're doing at the El Royale. And uh, no one is quite what they seem. Everyone's there for a different reason. Yeah, I, uh, I just, I thought the world of El Royale, I just really enjoyed it. Same. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoy El Royale. I think the, the opening of the film is really interesting and really well done. I think it sets the tone and everything uh, just very well, I'd say. Uh, the way the storytelling is done and how he kind of described it of, of explaining each sort of character and we have this intertwining story of seeing it from different angles and uh, everyone does a fantastic part. Uh, I also do agree that Chris Hemsworth is very enjoyable in the film. But as far as the story progression and, and, and everything like that, it does sort of slow down and go, okay, now we're going to completely shift over to the Chris Hemsworth stuff. And it doesn't... I, I, something Something's missing there. I can't exactly explain what, but there's a, a slight disconnect. But the, the ending, I feel, is, is really enjoyable. It felt satisfying in a way, so I, I really appreciate that about it. A lot of these movies where they, they can really kind of just have a, an, an ending where the horror of the situation is over and we can move on with our lives, but they do a bit more with it, and I, I really enjoy that about it. So, um, beautiful stuff. I mean, for usually I think it's a pretty common thing for people that enjoy film to love Neon in the Rain, and there's quite a bit of that in this film, and there's, there's some beautiful-looking stuff there. Um, yeah, and I have one more... Uh, John Hamm in my life, so that'd be, that'd be nice <laughs> if you could uh, oblige with that universe. Uh, Widows, Drew Goddard film, uh, yeah, really cool. Widows, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Widows, let's um, talk about let's talk about people that don't have husbands. Well, I don't know if <laughs> I want to talk general. about that. I would like to talk about the film Widows, though. So, uh, Widows. In another year, this probably would have been my favorite film of the year. Um, I will get to what my favorite film was, but I, 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 man, I loved this film. I was anticipating this one because uh, I'm a fan of Stephen McQueen's work, um, Shame and Twelve Years a Slave. I've not seen Hunger. Um, I've heard Hunger's that, really good. Yeah, so have I. Um, but yeah, I was anticipating this. It had a really killer trailer that just was just so full of mystery and. It, 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 just made you feel really tense. I was like, man, I want to see that. Um, an all-star cast, including roles that you only see for like 10 seconds. John Bernthal is in this. And <laughs> there's a point where like everyone is masked and you just hear someone yelling. And I'm like, well, I know that voice. That's John <laughs> Bernthal. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought everybody in this was great. Uh, just a cast of really really great performers um and I must mention Viola Davis 
she's one of my favorite actresses around and she is just so good um yeah i i, I it, once again I, I don't want to just sort of keep on repeating myself but like i just i was so invested in the the unfortunate um situation that these widows found themselves in and no one in the film no character in the film is particularly likable like no one in the film is on the correct side of the law um, but for whatever reason i really sympathized with uh the situation that these widows found themselves in uh even if it's manipulated by uh viola davis's character somewhat but she's just doing what she thinks she needs to to survive um and I, I just I I was really invested in, in what was going to happen to these characters and I wanted to see them succeed uh, am I right uh, in assuming there's there's a uh, kind of a touch of like uh, women in this world trying to kind of take back power in a world that, that doesn't give it to them sort of thing yes but it's not in a way that's on the nose mm. like it's done in a in a way where they're sort of forced in this situation because all of their husbands made a dumb decision <laughs> and like it, it, they're now in the situation of like okay well if we want to get ourselves out of this we need to do this and it, no one's very we personal can pull it for off. them yeah the fact yeah. That the, the fact that it's a survival story sounds interesting to me in the context of you know all this stuff happening with women in the film industry and and just women in general the me too movement and all that kind of stuff that sounds really relevant which is why I'm surprised that this film hasn't been more of a award season darling. Mm. Um, I thought that this was going to be, I thought this was going to essentially be what Black Panther has ended up being of like, you know, this is the, I don't want to just throw shit at a film I haven't seen, but I didn't see the new oceans movie. And this felt like the meaningful version of that. Um, and I like, a lot of the actresses in that movie um but i i so like i said i don't want to throw shit at something i haven't seen but like widows is also essentially a heist movie as well um that does it in a way that i don't know i i feel is like like i said i feel the desperation of the situation i feel how personal the situation is i want to see them succeed even though they are 100 percent breaking the law <laughs> and there's nothing fun about it it's not like like we can do this girl power like it's nothing like that but they do have that sense of no one expects that it's going to be us because it's us and that's why we're going to succeed um and i love that uh yeah yeah i mean there's a real sense of these people just rolling up their sleeves getting down and dirty and doing it not to to really say anything like it says if it, that the statement of the film is not extremely in your face about it it's more so just people taking what they need to do and doing it. Um, I, I really enjoy the fact that, as you said before, that no one is, there's no like clear good person in the film. Um, I feel like if there's any point where you're hoping like, oh, I hope those people do better than those people, it's a constant shift where you think mm -hmm. maybe that they're the good, not so much, and then it kind of moves back and forth where you realize that it's just the world's full of bad, misleading, you know, egotistical people that are all out for themselves and these women are, are just sort of in the middle of it they're almost in the middle of a, you know a personal political war going on and they're just trying to get out <laughs> so 
Um, yeah. Very, very, very good film. I, I really enjoyed this film. I don't know exactly what caused me to see it other than I saw a trailer and I thought, you know what? I'm, we're going to be free that week. Let's let's go see it. And that was it. So, I mean, that's, that's really great that movies like that can still happen. You know, it proves that not everything has to be a franchise or it has to be advertised as a statement. Like, you know, we, we're not ranking on a movie that no one saw because I didn't I forgot Ocean's 8 came out but that was obviously spouted as the female sequel reboot of a franchise and it's like just kind of similar to Ghostbusters meanwhile you have films like Annihilation and Widows yes. that genuinely do push a, a narrative you know a, a nice female strong narrative that aren't being shown off as that and it's almost unfortunate because they're being forgotten, and it's it should be. I feel like Widow should be recognized. It's a very powerful film. It's very enjoyable. It's it's great. Very grounded. Very very small. It's it's not like you have to go in knowing a whole lot or getting confused about things. For something that's all about deceit and crime and and making the tough choices, it's very easy to understand. And I I, I love it. I think it was a very good film. Roma by Alfonso Cuarón. Yes, um, Roma. I. It's the film that everyone is saying is a is a masterpiece, and a lot of people have been calling this the best film of the year. So, it's on Netflix. Uh, it's produced by Netflix, so I, I thought I'd check it out. It uh, Alfonso Cuarón um, directed, co-wrote, uh, I think co-edited, and was the cinematographer. Um, I mean, you generally don't continue doing like wearing that many hats on a single film when you're outside of film school so like <laughs> and even then you know like um so i really applaud that um when i heard that that was the case it's like well i've, I've got to see this this is one man's vision um <laughs> and uh i watched it. it it it's a little hard for a film that you've heard countless times is like a masterpiece uh to live up to the hype um but i did think this was a great film in some ways, it's a little long, um, or maybe at least there there are moments in the film where there wasn't a lot happening, and I found myself getting a little bored. But the final act of this film, I was completely invested and found myself um, honestly getting a little misty-eyed at the situation. Like you know, when I say I was bored earlier in the film, uh, whatever they were doing, I was I still became very invested in the characters, uh, or at least in in the main character. Um, but I did think this was a great film. It, it does deserve a lot of praise. So, uh, yeah, it's on Netflix. Um, it's a foreign language film. Uh, so if that's not your thing, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but it's a black and white foreign language film. Um, and then we've got Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. <sighs> I mean, where do, where do we start with something like this? <laughs> I mean, this is, it, I mean, Spider-Man's important again. That's really what it felt like. It was... It was, it was amazing. It was breathtaking. I I can't get enough of it. I've seen it twice now, and I just I enjoyed it so damn much. Um, this made me a fan of characters that I previously wasn't a fan of before. People like Miles Morales and, and Spider-Gwen. You know, those weren't really characters I was super interested in in the comics. Um, but now, after seeing this, it, it almost makes me want to try. Um, I did try a little bit. I read a little bit of a comic, and then I realized it wasn't as good as the movie, so I kind of just dropped that whole thing. But I'm glad I have these representations of these characters in this form. But it's just... It's emotional. It's funny. 
without getting too much into the spoiler territory, I have I did I did cry while watching the film. It's just it's so impactful and meaningful, and it has such a great message of the importance of not only Peter Parker but of Spider-Man in general, and the idea that is it's just about no matter how many times you get knocked down, you get back up. You have that drive. You have what makes you special. That's what makes you Spider-Man. Anyone can be Spider-Man. So I mean, it's it feels so meaningful and, and joyful and hopeful, and it's it's brilliant. It was it's considering it's, this is you know towards the end of 2018. This was a great way to cap it off with just some real feel-good emotions. I would say about one of the most iconic comic book characters of all time. Yeah, I mean, it's so refreshing to get a film like this. I just left the cinema so happy. Um, I just had such a fun experience watching this. The idea of uh, anyone can wear the mask just goes back to the roots of Spider-Man, of like Peter Parker being an everyday guy that everyone can relate to. He's got everyday problems just like the rest of us. And the whole film was such a great tribute to Spider-Man. Um, I mean, you know, going as far as to include you know, Spider-Man Noir and Spider-Ham, who were such funny characters... On top of, you know, Miles and Gwen, who I became a fan of in this. Like, I enjoyed the Gwen Stacy character, but Spider-Gwen was just such a gimmick to me that I didn't really give her the time of day. And the same went for Miles as well. And I became a fan of these two. I don't necessarily... I've heard a lot of people say that, like, a lot of people that have read the comics have said that they're far more interesting in this, far more well-realized in this film than they have been in however many years of graphic novels they've appeared in. I, I don't doubt it. Yeah, like, I mean... I just I, I enjoyed watching these guys work together like a, an army of a team of spider people like it is such a thing that they do in the comics over and over again it feels like but it felt refreshing getting it here I liked the dynamic of everybody um, I loved the animation it was the most unique animation I've ever seen in a film mm. and the fact that it incorporated this animation that they developed for this world also bringing in like this 2d looney tunes character and like this anime character into it as well um that was really great and i i i mean i adore this movie i can't say enough good things about it um whether it's you know the tributes to the comics uh the way they let's start from the beginning and they tell an origin story with a comic book cover uh the tributes to the raimi films um as you've mentioned Sam even going as far as to include the Cliff Robertson voiceover um, from Spider-Man 1 the great power comes great responsibility like that was I turned to my friend when that happened just went like oh and like grabbed my heart like I couldn't believe we actually had dialogue just lifted from Spider-Man 1 Um, I mean you know the, the the Peter Parker dancing scene was sadly kind of spoiled in one of the TV spots but I wasn't expecting mm. to hear uh, "Get on up" like along with it. <laughs> yeah. That was a pleasant surprise. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm excited for to spend more time in this world with these characters. It was an after credit scene that uh, gave me a giant erection, um, and <laughs> I'm just. I can't wait to. You know me. Um, I just can't wait to. <laughs> to see more of this like it sony did go full ball like the day after it was released with we're doing this and this and this and this and this but um i mean and it's sony you know they also made venom this year but like 
I, <laughs> I, if it's the same team, if it's Lord and Miller, and if it's these guys who clearly just love Spider-Man and have a love for this world and these characters, then I, I'm very, very optimistic about spending more time with these characters. First thing I did when when I walked out of the cinema was I turned to Jess and I just said, "Wow, that was." way better than it had any right to be. It's so funny because, you know, for the last couple of years or so, we've been hearing about, you know, this this Sony's animated Spider-Man movie and everyone's kind of universal reaction, I think, was more or less just kind of like, okay, okay, whatever. It's just like any anything Spider-Man they can put out, they will. Um, and yet, uh, I mean, the whole reason, really, this is this is the way it is is because of uh, the filmmaking talent behind it it's, it's Lord and Miller and I and it's so I mean I love this movie I'm doing a big build up to, to the point I really love this movie um, but I think it's so funny that Lord and Miller the guys who did Cloudy with a Chance at Meatballs the Lego movie quality animated films that they were attached to do The Flash uh, for for some years and that fell through then they got to direct a Star Wars movie and got halfway through directing that and then got kicked off. Finally, they've been allowed to finish a project and not only is it good, it's the best Spider-Man movie we've had in about 14 years. Um, like you guys said, I mean, it's just, it's so, it, it's such a labour of love, isn't it? That, yeah. you know, you can just tell these guys, not only do these guys love Spider-Man, but they just love making something it's just it's such a, a a combination of all these different art styles and and um cr- and crafts and departments everyone here i just love that you know it's the sony animated spider-man movie which you hear and you think straight to dvd you know bollocks but they've all tried as hard as they can to make the best damn movie that they can um and it shows i mean owing to your point kirk the animation it's it, I, as someone that champions kind of valiant interesting weird abstract animation in more commercial kind of mainstream cinema it's wonderful to see how this film takes advantage of that and and like you say you've got you've got spider-ham who's basically a warner brothers cartoon and even even the stuff of like you know when they're all crawling on the walls and um and then they they move, but Spider Ham is like got a delayed reaction, like Scooby Doo or something, and his legs are flap, <laughs> his feet are flapping about. Just those little touches are really clever and really nice. Um, and I mean, there are so many computer animated movies out there these days that that just don't do anything really. You've got somewhat of a characteristic quirk in the characters, and then that's kind of it. It's just kind of generally photorealistic, kind of. Um, and it's just going to be a a wacky family adventure with maybe some pop culture references. Like this was so much more than that. Miles's arc is so well realized. He has such a concise journey um, throughout the movie. The script is tight as hell. Um, I didn't really know much about Miles Morales, and I really love him in this movie. And I love that it is his film, despite the fact that you've got all these other characters in the movie. Um, I I really worried Kirk and I you and I mentioned uh in the have mentioned in the past that we really worried when we saw this Peter Parker being advertised and that he was kind of a you know a schlub and just kind of didn't really care and he was making all these jokes. Yeah. Contextualized it's a lot easier to swallow but at the same time 
he's not just a goof that doesn't care he's just he's a peter parker that has suffered so much and he's exhausted i think this movie is magnificent i I really loved it and i'm probably going to go see it again at some point this movie is a huge huge lesson for all uh, these studios and everyone to learn that you have to take a leap of faith as the movie suggests whether it's the animation style or the people you hire to make it the stories or characters you're adapting you have to have some need to do something that's worthwhile because otherwise you're just making another spider-man movie and like you stated, when when they announced like, oh, we're gonna make an animated Spider-Man movie, I remember thinking they better make a reason for why it's animated, because I do not want yes. a DreamWorks or Disney or Illumination style film where it's like it's Spider-Man, but this time it's a cartoon, and that really that that had me worried for so so long, because it's Spider-Man and he's designed for animation in a sense the way the mm. character moves is so unreal and, and exciting to view that you need a imaginary camera and an imaginary person to break and bend the rules slightly. I mean, look at some of the character designs in this movie. Anything with Kingpin looks like a piece of art because he's so just a big block of man that you can't achieve that anywhere <laughs> else. But if this was just a standard, you know, big-eyed, smirking kind of animated film where you can't be all bendy and loose and crazy and, and whatever. Yeah. It would just be, you know, a normal man. But here, whenever he's this big hulking monster, you feel it and you, you're excited by it. And I liked all the different interpretations of all these things and the art style and everything. It just it worked so well for what they were doing. And it's, as, as Kirk said, the day after... Sony was like, and we're doing an all-female spinoff, and we're doing a sequel with Miles, and we're going to be doing a this and a that. And a, and it's like, I want to see the timeline of how long it took them to make this movie. And if you don't have a window of how long it took you to make that movie for the next movie, then I'm I'm immediately less interested. Because yeah. if, you, if it took you five years to make this, and by the end of next year you have another sequel, I don't know if I can trust it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the next movie we've got is Bumblebee. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, Bumblebee. <laughs> B two one eight seven. You're confusing it with FN two one eight seven. Oh no! Am I... <laughs> so Bumblebee. I guess I should. I should probably. It makes take sense on this one because it's it's Bumblebee. Um, See, so yeah, Bumblebee was announced as their first official spinoff from the Transformers series. Uh, the last film that came out was The Last Night, and it made the lowest of any Transformers film. And it was the worst, question mark? Um, <laughs> I still think the fourth one's the worst, but it was still really horrendous. It's still shit, and it's too long, and Mark Wahlberg... And- I couldn't remember oh, if there had been a movie in between the one with the dinosaurs and this one. Like, that's how... Yeah. That's there, how ridiculous it Anthony got. Hopkins. Uh, so. I was watching Bumblebee yesterday being like... Did I see the last one? <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Uh, so going into I haven't this, seen the last two. So. Good, you're doing better than he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, going into this film, it was like, okay, what the fuck could they possibly do with Bumblebee? Like the, the spinoff character about Bumblebee? What, what would this even be about? What would you do? There's no way this could be good. And then they brought in a new director. And they brought in a new writer, 
and they brought in new character designers, and they brought in everybody that was, wasn't involved with the last one except for Lorenzo de Bonaventura, because uh, he just produced it. And we got a film that actually feels like a movie. <laughs> I love the film. I saw it a second time. I still loved it. It's just such a, a sweet film. It's simple. It's nice. Compared to the other films, everything about it is so much easier to ingest. So you have characters that are, are nice and good-willed and are talking to each other like people. There's no scenes where the Autobots or Decepticons are like roughhousing and, and beating each other up and calling each other names. There's genuine character growth and characters that are proactively doing things. I mean, Charlie Watson is so entertaining because she's believable as a teenage girl. And you want her to succeed, and you understand her problems, and it's all just so nice and kind and enjoyable. Everything down to the, the fight scenes. You can understand what are, what's going on, and you can understand character motivations and the designs of everyone. I mean, I know that's like a real basic thing, but it, it pleases everyone. When you go to a more, I'm going to say, cartoon-accurate design, uh, with these characters, you get the, the hearts and minds of the G1ers, the original fans, but you also get fans of people that like to look at nice things on a screen because you don't yeah. just see a big, <laughs> jagged, spiky mess. You're like, oh, that's a person. You know, that's that's a big, boxy person. I can understand what's happening. It's it's not like the camera's spinning around and going crazy and the saturation's all weird and it's like, is that a face? Is that a butt? I don't, I don't know. It's a big robot. <laughs> Does it transform into anything? Maybe not. But here, it's like you—it's—it's it's all very basic, and you know that—that's been a thing that I've. The only negatives I've seen about this movie are like really dumb, butthurt Bay fans that are just like, "No, no <laughs> action. This movie's about teenage girl problems. This is stupid." And this, <laughs> this is, is a, really a movie. I hate it. It's like, yeah, and I mean, that's—it's like, oh sure, if this was. A perfect world for a very minute group of Transformers fans. Sure, you'd have nothing but a, a big war on Cybertron with a bunch of robots. But it's like this is a real movie with with characters and a storyline and you know enjoyment out of it. So the fact that this movie ends and basically like a, an old like you know dock with uh, a big tower where it's like it's kind of the thing of shooting the big laser in the sky, but. Not really. It's it's way more tuned down. Of it's just two people that need to send a radio signal out, and you understand the the you know the things that at risk and everything. So it's all very very basic, very very grounded. I was exact absolutely right. How people felt about Homecoming, how it's like yes, this is my Spider Man, this is my Transformers. I'm so so happy that we're able to get this, and it's it's just. It's, it's great. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll probably see that I've been sharing like all my friends' positive reactions to the film because it's just like, yes, not only do I love Bumblebee, but everyone likes it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had so much fun with this movie. Um, I only saw it the other day and I just, yeah, had a ball. A really good-hearted movie. Um, Haley Steinfeld is great. I mean, she's been a great actress for a long time now nominated at age like 10 or whatever it was for uh, 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 True Grit but yeah like I sympathised with her struggle and you know sympathised with like what she was going through and 
you know, it was funny to have that in the middle of this giant robot movie. And yeah, I mean, once it's similar to Spider-Man. It was like, it, it was clear that the people who made this gave a damn about Bumblebee. So yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. I don't really have anything else to add, but it's something I'm excited to watch again at some point. I, I mostly ended up going to see this because you, Kirk, you tweeted about it and you said it was really good because I'd seen that it got good reception from most people mm-hmm. when I saw that Anthony, you really liked it. Um, and then Kirk tweeted about it and I thought, well, I'm not doing anything today. So, <laughs> And it would be nice if all three of us could talk about this movie, so I'll go see it. And it was somewhat begrudgingly because I'm, I'm not a big Transformers fan. But I remember watching. I'm not a Transformers fan at all. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember watching when uh, the fourth one came out, the one with Mark Wahlberg and the dinosaurs. Is that called Age of Extinction or something? Age of Extinction is yes, that's the the fourth film in the franchise, starring Marky Mark and. The <laughs> um, but I remember I watched the uh, the 80s movie. Um, uh, in <laughs> with that killer soundtrack, yeah, um, and I and I appre- and I enjoyed the reference in the in Bumblebee, by the way. Um, yeah, it's it's really great because it's not super egregious. Where if you don't know that's a reference, it doesn't affect the movie in any way. No. It's just real quick and simple, and so that all the fans can go, oh yeah. Well, that, that, <laughs> it, it doesn't have to. That speaks to the whole the film. film, really, because because I watched it and I said, wow, whoever made this clearly really likes Transformers. And really has an has a fidelity for it, has an affinity for the the, the material, and and obviously wants to make something really really good. But but what I liked about it was I had watched that animated film, and you know it's, it's not the most compelling story or whatever, but aesthetically, I mean it looks awesome. It's and mm-hmm. and like the it's like such a rollicking space opera, like all these robots in space and stuff like that. That stuff seemed really cool to me. And the first thing I thought when I saw that movie was, where the hell has this been in the live action films? Like I don't really care about these human people. If we can go off and, because I think even in the other movies they've had prologues set on Cybertron. Um, There's one film that does that. The third film third starts one. with like a spaceship flying away yeah. and it crashes on the moon and then we get the whole like Transformers were on the moon and... yeah um, <laughs> but this was the first the time dark where I of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> this was the first time where I was watching it and I thought this is what I was kind of thinking when I thought where has this been in the films like the, the opening prologue it like owing to what you said it's so much easier to tell what's going on um, I really liked the designs of the characters. I loved the voices. Everything, everyone had a kind of distinctive voice. Um, yeah, I love how it's all color coded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the most basic thing, right? Um, Saturation isn't turned up way too high. Yeah, and and it really felt. I I didn't know that it was set in the eighties. So when that happened, when it uh, announced the kind of time code, I, I thought or, or announced the year. I thought, okay, cool. They're kind of bringing it back to to basics. Um, I I just honestly this just really made me smile it really made me happy and I think the yeah. the film's ultimate um hook is that it just wears its heart on its sleeve it's got so much joy and so much it obviously cares so much about this material and also about telling this really sweet story about you know this teenage girl who who's an outcast and I I I won't lie I mean I even had problems with this movie but there's a, there's a point where 
Charlie and uh, Bumblebee hug for the first time, and it genuinely made me well up, because, partly because Hayley Steinfeld is so good in this role. Yeah. She really is terrific. Um, and the visual effects, they've always been good. Um, I mean, it, it, not not a huge difference from the previous films, but the transforming effect is still really impressive, and I still really enjoy seeing that on screen. It's nicer to see it now with more well-defined characters um but i mean an example of how much i enjoyed the movie and part of why i like it there's a shot where and it, I, it's not really a spoiler but there's a shot in a in a um, car rear view mirror um where bumblebee is driving away from Haley steinfeld and it's in a moment of kind of heightened emotion and on the mirror it says subjects may be closer than they appear like <laughs> that's so lovely like the the movie is so earnest and it's not making any bones about what kind of film it is it's effectively a spielberg 80s movie um and it's nice that it feels like that yeah it, it's nice that, i mean it's effectively the iron giant but it's so well done that you don't really care that it is quite cliched and you pretty much know every like where it's gonna go um but it, it's it's just it's all good intentions all good intentions all. and you know you can tell a story as many times as you like as long as you deliver something you know genuinely interesting and and you make me feel something and i really felt something with this um there's i think there's a couple scenes where john cena's character could do there's like it feels like there's a couple scenes taken out where he which makes his arc a bit more well-rounded um and some of the comedy with the family fell flat for me um yeah and that weirdly felt a bit like a holdover from the Bay films. Um, it's it's funny. I was having that conversation with Anthony <laughs> earlier. Uh, like that, the family felt wiki-like to me at times. And mm. it's nowhere near as cringy or as over the top. Um, but they felt like dim-witted idiots. Yeah. Um, especially, especially her mum the... constantly, this isn't safe. It, it, it got old. And it got it started yeah. stretching the uh, started um, stretching the disbelief a little bit. But either way, I just uh, I I really like Bumblebee feels like a really well realized character in this, and yeah. um, I I just really liked this movie, you know. So yeah, I thought I was, I thought I was alright. And I think <laughs> I think people that uh, know nothing about Transformers will get something out of it as well. Um, yeah, really good. Uh, you two saw Vice. Boom, doom. Um, <laughs> uh, I loved Vice. Vice, uh, first of all, Vice had my favorite trailer of the year, um, and it also had probably my favorite performance of the year. Um, Christian Bale was a hell of an actor, and he makes a transformation in this that's just he disappears. Um, at the beginning of the film, he's still sort of got his dark hair and, and then he, he's not wearing glasses. So he, he, he looks like a chubby Christian Bale. And then you see him get older and, and he just he transforms even more into Dick Cheney. And uh, there's this one sh scene where he's standing at the sink just brushing his teeth and he's just the size of a house. And, uh, I mean, I just, I admire the man for, for the dedication to his craft of getting that size. Um, I hope he doesn't do too much more of that. I like having Christian Bale <laughs> around. 
um, in an interview he did before this came out <laughs> where he said you know, the last time I put on weight I had some trouble with my ticker and I was like oh god I don't want to hear Christian Bale had a heart attack because he's gotten really fat and skinny then really fat and, and skinny um, but yes uh, <laughs> that shouldn't anyway Christian Bale's <laughs> tremendous everyone's tremendous in this um, uh, Sam Rockwell does a great George W um, <laughs> That uh, squint that he, he does is so subtle, but it, it works. Yes. yes. Um, Amy Adams is great as uh, Mrs. Cheney as well. Uh, Steve Carell's great. Um, uh, yeah, like this film, the best way I can describe it, and it's similar with The Big Short, although I think he's perfected, Adam McKay, the director, has perfected his style here with this film is... He edits the film and in some ways presents it as if it's like a YouTube video. Like, there's elements of it that feel like a YouTube poop. Like, he'll cut to, like, a still image. Like, there's a, a point where Cheney has just uh, is started working at the White House. And he describes how he uh, actually got to see Richard Nixon. And he's on the phone with his wife and he's like, he looked at me with that impish smile and uh, they cut to like an image you just get from google images of nixon and it doesn't like fill up the screen it's like it's uh, it's just an image of nixon <laughs> and it just it really cracked me up like there's other times where they'll just cut to like a still image of cheney like really happy um there's one point when uh George is uh, is trying. George W is trying to get. Uh, um, it's the scene from the trailer where he, he's trying to get uh, Cheney to be his vice, and they just cut to like a still shot, like a it's like a screen cap from that scene that they're in of <laughs> of Bush with like chicken just hanging out of his mouth with a big old <laughs> smile, and it's stuff like that that really cracked me up. Like we get like a false credits in the middle of the movie as if the movie's going to end um and i mean yeah it's it's really really funny um it's also a, a really interesting history lesson and uh it doesn't present the facts as if they're from the perspective of a a republican or a democrat or anything like that it just presents the facts as we know them and I appreciated that. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, there's, you can't deny the, what went on, uh, in the, the Bush administration during that time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it was, but we get like Cheney's, a good portion of Cheney's life. And sometimes a, a biopic like that can feel a little dated of, we're getting them from childhood to when they died. Like, it's hard to do a movie like that. And we don't get that exactly with Cheney, but we get these important moments in his life and, uh, and other things we gloss over, but you know, in a way he was the most, one of the most secretive men in the history of government in America. So it, it makes sense <laughs> for that to be the case. Um, yeah, I adored this film. Um, I thought it was great. I've said adored a lot, but this has been a year where I've liked a lot of movies. So it's, uh, it's warranted. I feel yeah, there's a lot of quality in this year. Um, I, I really enjoyed the film as well. Um, I think it sets the comedic styling and tone uh, right off the bat. So 
you know, if, if, if you don't know what you're getting into, the opening words of the film will really make you understand of what you're going to watch. It's a very funny film, and I don't know if the audience I saw it with knew that going in. Um, I did, and uh, it was even funnier than I thought it was going to be, but it does it appropriately so that when it touches on subjects of American history that are you know very dark and very violent, it feels impactful. So it's, 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 it's similar in a sense where it's, you're having this good time and then reality sort of sinks in. And I, I, th I agree with the statement that it, it, it feels pretty unbiased to me, to be honest. I mean, it's just sort of laying it out there and saying, you know, how do you think that would be, to be honest? Like, forget who, you, who you're, you know, signed your allegiance to essentially here in American politics. How do you feel about this information? And I, that really surprised me because I saw a lot of extreme negative reviews and it, it felt very much like a lot of films like this where I don't even know if these people have seen it, but mm -hmm. a lot of just like, oh, this is just a smear campaign against, you know, the Republican Party and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it really, really isn't. There's a good portion of the film that attempts to humanize Dick Cheney in a way that I've never heard of in my entire life. There's so much where you think like, oh, this is where he, he turns and he becomes the villain, and it's all right here. And then he doesn't, and you're like, oh, I guess he is just a person with his own thoughts and hopes and dreams and cares for his own thing. Not to mention there's so many points in the film that really drive home that no matter what your, your uh, you know, whatever your choice is or whatever you believe, it doesn't matter to people that just want power. Yes. And it's great that we were able to get the edits from Chief Birdie Rules, our friend Frank, of the Palpatine trailer, because that's what it's like. It's just a man rising to power. <laughs> that's all yeah. he does. You see him start from the bottom, and then you, you see him get there, and you're like, wow, you, you, you fucking did it, and you, you stepped over every person that was in your way, and I, I enjoyed it. It's definitely a performance piece, mostly. You kind of yes. go there to see... Uh, Christian Bale just disappear and like you said there are points where you're, you're reminded of like oh wait no that's right he's still Christian Bale in there like that's a that's a person it's 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 so well done and it's it's brilliant uh, our final movie and I won't take too long because I only saw this movie today uh, was <laughs> um, The Favourite by and I want to make sure I get his name right Yargos Lanthimos who made uh, The Lobster and uh, The Killing of a Sacred uh -huh. Deer, I believe. Um, the Lobster, is that that film with um, Colin Farrell? Yes. Um, yes. Uh, and that's a, a that's really that's a really good movie. Um, yes. And uh, this is a very similar kind of tonal style in as much as it's very sharp-edged, it's very witty and very darkly funny. Um, but, I mean... The favorite is basically about um, Queen Anne, played by Olivia Coleman, uh, and her confidant um, Rachel Weisz, and uh, eventually their their uh, their comfortable uh, system of kind of Queen Anne is always ill and she's a bit of a scatterbrain. She's a bit like a petulant child in a lot of cases, and she's really emotionally she's emotionally sensitive. She's a bit of a wreck. And Rachel Weisz is kind of the, uh, the 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 stable face of hers when she goes to deal with political matters and stuff like that. Um, turns out those two are actually having... Uh, there's a romance between those two. Um, 
and uh, it all gets shaken up when uh, Emma Stone comes in and she kind of builds her way up from a maid to try and become the new favourite a la the title um, mm-hmm. overall uh, Olivia Coleman just delivers a terrific performance um, it's, it's, it's really fascinating to watch she's really funny at the same time as she is just heartbreaking to watch she's a really she's a character that's suffered so much um, and the movie has a lot of fun kind of again it's that thing of the lobster where things that are just really not funny kind of become funny the way that it's performed and the way that the camera just kind of stays on it and there's just that kind of like you, you practically expect to hear a frog riveting in the background um <laughs> that kind of stuff is why it works i found it very funny and very genuinely sad um not too much to say about it because again i only saw it today it has tremendous production values um i don't know where they shot this but it looks terrific the the it's shot in a really interesting way there's like fish eye lenses um which is seems really like counteractive to the time period um and uh, like the the aesthetic is very like washed out. It always it's always a grey day outside, uh, and that again it, it's kind of funny to me. I, I feel like I'm kind of getting the movie's like language, um, but yeah, I, I thought it was quite good, and uh, I would probably recommend people go see it if you liked the Lobster. And uh, I don't know if Killing of a Sacred Deer is similar to that kind of like darkly funny tone, but this is clearly this guy's mojo, and I think he does it really well. I'm really happy that Olivia Coleman's getting uh, some recognition for this. She's, she's terrific, been, man. She's been great for a long time, so that's really cool. Yeah, and she's been, I mean, it, to, to British audiences, everyone knows her from every TV series under the sun. She's guest appeared yeah. on everything, um, and she's she's um, led her own shows and stuff like that. So this is really nice to see, and she's so humble as well. Um, so, yeah, it's really nice to see her getting her, her day in the sun. guys thank you for joining as always i love doing these it's always so much fun we always run over time but it's okay because (laughs) of the power of editing guarantee this still clocks in at two and a half hours (laughs) oh jesus at least we're going to be talking really fast (laughs) it's five minutes that's my impression of a five minute anyway it's one in the morning and i'm tired um Uh, so everyone thank you very much for listening uh how can our audience reach you fellas if they uh can't get enough of you uh well i am on both twitter and instagram at at anthony lantern so if you like me talking about toys mostly uh you can check me out there um if you also just can't get enough of that toy goodness i also have a youtube channel that i'm posting pretty regularly on uh just uh, anthony reviews where anthony reviews so if you you want to hear me just love toys not a whole lot of bitching more mostly love then check check that out and kirk uh, uh you can follow me on uh twitter at kirk uh you can follow me on instagram at kirk underscore bt um you can go to my youtube channel which is shades at night um there there might be something going up soon depending on when this is oh. up so uh yeah Well, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, We will be back. Have a lovely 2019, and we will see you again next year. Bye-bye.